Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the 7 most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about 7 minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Saturday. Jason Martin, Aaron Torres. Jason, there is a different freaking feel in the air here in the Fox Sports Radio studios. Got four games on uh, Utah and Florida. Utah, a top 10 team on the road, holding on to a four-point lead with five minutes left. And then the shocker of all shockers, which we'll get into momentarily, Notre Dame up 10-7 midway through the se- the third quarter against Ohio State. But Jason, more than anything... It's felt like sports are starting to ramp up. Today it feels different, man. How you doing? I'm I'm doing well. Actually, I thought you were going to sound even more hyped when we came on because we're oh, finally here. I'm not hi- We've been I wasn't setting hyped up enough? to do this. You were hyped, but I was expecting like 100 Aaron Torres and I got like 85 Aaron I gotta Torres. I got to say we have 4 long hours. You know, it's like uh we're like Georgia. You know, we 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 you know, we just uh we got a, a this is a 13 week grind here for us. 14 week grind, so we're not trying to get get too much in it too fast, but no, I'm fired. Am I fired up enough now? Do I have to? How how yeah, how loud? Do yeah, I you have get there. Yell? Like you started out with like week zero energy, <laughs> and then you moved from like Thursday night to Friday to now we're kind of rolling. Like now so, we're here. Uh, there's there's so much going on. There's been football on every screen associated with my home over this last three day span. Yes. It's been glorious. It's just so good to finally be here. It is so good to be here. Obviously, uh, Ephraim and Martin Weiss got you caught up on everything that has happened throughout the day. Georgia dominates uh, a couple wild games in, in the Carolinas. Uh, NC State beats East Carolina. UNC beats App State in a wild game. But as I just said, the story of right now, the, not just this moment, but the day, Jason Martin, 
just an absolute stunner in Columbus. Ohio State came in as a 17.5 point favorite, was the number one ranked scoring offense in college football last year, put up over 45 points per game. They are trailing 10-7 with four minutes left uh, in the third quarter. Their star wide receiver, Jackson Smith and Jigba, has been in and out of the lineup, but that is no excuse for Ryan Day's team, which looks lost, which looks confused. And C.J. Stroud, who was the Heisman Trophy favorite, Coming into the season, very much struggling in his season debut for the Buckeyes. C.J. Stroud currently 15 of 24, 116 yards passing, a little under 5 yards per completion. An absolute stunner that we are on right here in the middle of Jason Martin. Yeah, look, in Jigba being out, Smith and Jigba being out, that's not what you were anticipating if you were Ohio State coming into this. But... This is the kind of thing that happens in week one. Like, a lot of these teams, they're still trying to figure it out. Like, they are back together with teams that are coming at them that they haven't been working with all off season long. And some of this stuff just looks ragged out here. Like, I, you know, I have several takeaways already from the day, but as we're watching this game, Notre Dame, the one thing that you ha- that you wanted if you were Marcus Freeman was, I want Notre Dame to be out here and not stick out like a sore thumb in the wrong way. And they don't. Like, they don't look like they're firing on all cylinders, but for the most part, they've played disciplined. They've played smart. They've made a couple of decisions that I did not like, one towards the end of the first half that ended up not victimizing them, throwing the football, which enabled Ohio State to get the ball back with like 20 seconds left. But Notre Dame right now is playing with Ohio State. Ohio State's done this before. Like early in the season, they a lot of times are not really they, – they just aren't clicking. It doesn't feel quite the same. And for Smith and Jigba to not be there and him to be such a focal point and such a comfort zone guy for C.J. Stroud, I think, that, I think that says a lot here. Like Ohio State's going to have to dig down deep to win this game because as good as Egbuka is in terms of just sheer talent, you can tell that like the rhythm between him and C.J. Stroud is nowhere near what, what you're used to when you see Stroud with some of the guys that he's more familiar with. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting because that was um, you know my big takeaway and I, I saw it on social media you know I, I said something like and, and I, I'll stick by it is it's not an excuse if you're a Heisman Trophy favorite if you're a guy that people are projecting as the number one pick in the draft it's not an excuse not to have your number one wide receiver in there and, and I saw a few you know and, and I bring it up because Bryce Young last year in a national championship game was down his top two wide receivers mm-hmm. and still almost beat uh, a good Georgia team that maybe even is better than we thought they were based on how they look today um, uh, but, you know, with Stroud, it was funny because, you know, people said, well, you know, uh, you know, I mean, he didn't have his top guys last year in the bowl game. They still put up 45 points. I don't it doesn't matter to me. I, I don't know what you know. It's just if you're the number one guy in this class. And as you said, it, the timing clearly isn't there with Abuka, But Abuka's the former number one wide receiver in the class of 2021, the number one ranked high school player in the class of 2021. Um, it's just not an excuse. It's not an excuse not to have Jackson Smith and Jigba at 100%. Um, and it's just, I'll be honest, I mean, I, first of all, you're right. I hadn't even considered that 
This is a program that even dating back to the Urban Meyer era historically struggled early in the season. But I'd also say that that I can't ever remember under any circumstances this team looking as bad offensively since Ryan Day got there as they do right now. To your point, um, C.J. Stroud is just not on the same page as his wide receivers. But I, it's not an excuse. I've just never seen anything like this. I'd also add I don't want to take anything away from what Notre Dame has done defensively, but I have never seen Ohio State look this bad offensively since Ryan Day got there about four years ago. Yeah, and I think a lot of that a lot of that needs to go to Notre Dame because I think the interesting thing here is this is not a particularly like talented Notre Dame team. Like this is not one of the better Notre Dame teams of the last handful of years. Plus you've got a first year head coach in as big a pressure cooker as you could be in in terms of a week one opponent to start the season on the road in Columbus, not even at a neutral site. No, you're playing at the shoe and playing them even in that building when you consider what you think the talent discrepancy is between these two teams, Smith and Jigba playing or not, that that deserves a lot of credit because Notre Dame easily could have oregon this thing. And they absolutely have not. Well, and that's the that's the other thing that stands out to me is that you know I think we we, we lump Ryan Day in with, with all these great head coaches. And listen, I, this isn't like a tear Ryan Day down segment, but you know Jim Harbaugh said after the Michigan game last year, born on on third base, thinks he hit a triple. And I only bring it up to say as I watch this game. Notre Dame looks to be the better prepared team, the better uh, you know focused team. The more they're, they're executing in a better way, um, and they're doing it. By the way, as you said, Jason, one on the road, but two, as you said, this isn't a vintage Notre Dame team. And, no. and you know, you know how we know this? It's because Brian Kelly left when they were they still had a chance to make the playoff last year because he knew uh, that they weren't you know on the level of the elite programs in college football. And it's worth noting with Notre Dame, obviously they lost Kyle Hamilton, a top ten pick in the last NFL draft. Uh, first year starter wide receiver at quarterback, excuse me, top wide receivers in the NFL, top running back from last year's in the NFL. So to your point, um, you know, uh, part of it is I do think there's a lot of Ohio State conversation that needs to be had, and we will have it as we're on now from now until 2 a.m. Eastern. But part of it is Notre Dame just looks really well coached and really well prepared, and it is a testament to Marcus Freeman, uh, who right now just has his team in a good place as Ohio State uh, trailing 10-7 here with one minute left in the third quarter. Yeah, look, I understand Notre Dame has a number five next to their name, but I don't necessarily believe they're the fifth most talented team in the country, and I don't think a lot of people do. And so when you look at this, this would be a monumental thing. Like, look, there's 16 minutes left in this game. Ohio State may well win it. And looking at some of the results that we've seen in week one, just get out with a win. Just get out and then go work on the things that you need to work on as the schedule continues to rough you up down the stretch. Just get out with a W, and chances are you're going to be okay. Um, But Notre Dame being in this position this late in the game – on the road, and when you, I just saw a shot of Ryan Day, Ryan Day just kind of looks a little out of sorts. Not like frustrated. He just kind of looks like he looks like he's had an extra coffee, <laughs> or like an extra Red Bull or something. And that's because he's a little antsy because he's starting to sense this is a bad night for us. Like this is going to be one of those you look back on if you get through it and you're Ohio State and say, "Shoo, boy, by the skin of our teeth, we ended up getting that one and that led us down the pathway to the season that we're going to have." This is a it's weird to say this in week 1. It's kind of a turning point game here for CJ Stroud. If CJ Stroud's going to win the Heisman, the fourth quarter of this game 
is going to play a large part in the narrative beginning. Like, it's way too early to talk about who's going to end up winning it. But if you're able to will your team top weapon to get through this thing, especially if you put up you know a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter and win this thing not just on a last-second field goal, then that gives you a little bit. Because if you've noticed, some of the other Heisman guys uh, showed out today. So C.J. Stroud already just kind of looking like He's looking like he's not the guy that is capable of winning with anybody if you wanted to try and be pessimistic about it. Well, you talk about Heisman guys. Anthony Richardson at Florida uh, right now. Yeah, looks great. uh, 168 yards passing, 103 yards rushing, two touchdown passes as Florida is in the red zone driving uh, down four with a minute to go. They're currently in a timeout. Back to Ohio State really quickly. You say that that Ryan Day looks like he's he's had too much coffee. He's a little bit worked up. I, I, I think it's something that we see in college football is and we're going to talk about the playoff expansion and what it means and all that but but in the current format every single week means so much in this sport and Ryan Day isn't just thinking about and I know this is a metaphorical it's not a literal but he's not just thinking about this game this moment this play call as it's third and 11 Notre Dame up 10-7 with uh, about 20 seconds left in the third quarter Ohio State driving um, he's not just thinking about this one play, this one, and there is appear to be a touchdown pass. Ohio State takes the lead, fourteen to seven, extra point pending. But why I think he feels the why why he looks so tense, Jason, is because he knows what it means at Ohio State to lose a game like this at home as a 17-point favorite. And so that is why we love college football. That is what makes college football college football. Ohio State has just taken the lead, but Ryan Day knows what kind of questions he's going to get at that post-game podium and what, what uh, sports talk radio in Columbus is going to be like uh, if they don't, in fact, pull out this win. Yeah, it's 14. It'll be 14-10 here, and then you'll have a fourth quarter to play. What you know is the Big Ten schedule, there's a game that can get you on that schedule. If you find a way to lose this game, uh, you can't really afford that second loss. And We haven't gotten to playoff expansion yet. Obviously, we're going to spend a large part of this show discussing that huge story from Friday, but... You can't, if you're Ohio State, you're not getting there with two losses. So if you were to lose this, then your schedule becomes that much more daunting because there are some teams that can beat you. And weirdly enough, Ohio State has found a way to lose to certain strange teams through the years, and that becomes something you can't do. Your margin for error almost goes to zero unless everybody else falls apart around you. So that's what makes this so crucial is this one's not as baked into the cake. This was a tough first game, but it's one where you were a 17-point favorite. Let's not forget that. You're a 17-point favorite. You're in a dogfight at home as the number two seed in the country in week one. This is going to have ramifications if you don't hold on and win the game. Well, and it's also, it's worth noting, you know, if if, if they were to lose Ohio State up 14-10 as we're closing out on the end of the third quarter, as Jason just said, a 17-point favorite. So the result right now is stunning, to put it simply, in, in Columbus. The other thing worth considering is that uh, this wouldn't just be about tonight. It would really be a continuation of last year where you lose to Michigan, you lose to Oregon. Uh, you, you know, you give up a million points in that bowl game against Utah, and I think there would obviously be concern in Columbus. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, coming up. We'll keep you posted on this Ohio State game. Also, 
a top 10 team is coming down to the wire. Utah up four with under two minutes to go in the swamp. We'll keep you updated on that. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, week one of college football. We're just getting started. Fox Sports Radio. Hey, it's Ben, host of the fifth hour with Ben Maller. It would mean a lot to have you join us on our weekly auditory journey. You're asking what in God's name is the fifth hour? I'll tell you, it's a spinoff of the Ben Maller Show, a cult hit overnights on FSR. Why should you listen? Picture, if you will, a world where we chat with captains of industry in media, sports, and more every week. Explore some amazing facts about human nature and more. Listen to the fifth hour with Ben Maller on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. As we just told you, Ohio State holding on for dear life. Start of the fourth quarter. Ohio State, a 17-point favorite. They're up 14-10, to 10, and Notre Dame is very much driving as it appears as though there was a pass interference call gives Notre Dame a first down early in the drive. Another game going on, Jason, that is, you know, it, we, we're not fortunate enough to have the sound up in here in the Fox Sports Radio studios, but but as I was prepping for this, this show, uh, you could feel the tension in the swamp. Utah, a, mm-hmm. uh, a you know, kind of a, a darling out of the Pac-12, obviously had a great Rose Bowl performance last year, fell just a little short against Ohio State. They are trailing 29-26, Florida up 29-26 on the number seven team in the country. Utah driving with under a minute to go, third and seven as I'm speaking here. It appears as though they are going to pick up a first down. Jason, you know, listen, we we had some some interesting games today. This is the game of the day. What did I miss with that O from you? Was that from the Ohio State game? Well, just Cam Rising. Yeah, no, 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 that's Cam Rising getting it inside the red zone with 38 seconds left. What's interesting, I haven't told you this yet, Uh Torres, but obviously we picked our Final Four, our college football playoff last week. We did. Then I went on with Brian No on Monday, and I changed mine. Oh, whoa, plot twist. I I only changed one. Remember, I had picked Baylor. Okay. In addition to Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia. And you, you, you mentioned Utah, and I went and looked at them, and I actually went with Utah. I well, changed Baylor to Utah on Monday before any games uh-oh. were played, before, you know, when I could still do this. Sure. And now I'm looking at this. I still feel good about this. Like, look, they have 14 starters back. They've got Cam Rising back. 
They're incredibly well coached. We're going to see how this thing ends. But yeah, I, I have looked at this game all week and been very excited to see it because I wanted to see what Florida looked like. I know what Richardson is. Richardson right now in Mel Kuyper's list, I think, is a top 12 pick in the 2023 NFL draft already. And he looks the part. You know how good he is. But this is Napier's first game coaching. They do just kind of – there's one thing about Napier that I really like. He's so even-keeled. Sure. Like, he's just calm on the sidelines. He's very – There's. it feels like there's an adult in the room. Yep. It's not wild on the sidelines. There's not a lot of gimmickry going on. There's just solid football. And that's something Florida hasn't had with its last couple of head coaches. I mean, look at him right now if you're watching – yep. if you happen to be watching the game. Napier just – he looks like a football coach that – he knows his team is prepared. We understand the challenge that's in front of us, but he understands that moving around with his hair on fire is not necessarily going to help his team. And his team has played more disciplined tonight than I had seen that Florida group that sort of deteriorated down the stretch last season. This is just a very good, entertaining football game between two teams, two programs with a lot of pride and a lot of talent. Absolutely. Florida up 29-26. Utah in the red zone, as Jason said. Obviously in field goal range, we'll see. It looks as though they're going to pass the ball, so they're playing for the win here in the swamp as they pick up a first down. They are inside the 10. Uh, And Jason, you know, this is something we'll talk about throughout the night, but uh, you know, for Utah, but for the Pac-12 too, is that you get this. You know, first of all, you lose in the swamp to a Florida team that you know, first-year head coach rebuilding all that. Um, I don't know that it, it, it's the best thing, but. You win this game, and again, Florida rebuilding. They're not the best team in the SEC. Nobody's claiming that. But this could really be a springboard, especially uh, going into a Pac-12 where obviously Oregon did not look great. UCLA was up and down at the Rose Bowl today where it was like 140 degrees. Um, But, you know, it's just – this was the game one. I'll tell you, I was looking forward to this one the most because – you know, true road game for Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll be honest, part of the reason I wasn't looking forward to this Ohio State Notre Dame game, I thought it was going to be a blowout. So obviously things have changed. So did I. Yeah. So, so like this was one, I, I didn't think it was going to be a blowout. You're going across country in the swamp, in the humidity of Florida. It is a night game. Um, but also, what's at stake for Utah? What's at stake for the Pac 12? Uh, and I'll give them credit, by the way. They're, they seem to be playing for the win. Uh, I'm trying to check here. I, I, I don't know if they have a timeout. Maybe. Maybe that's why they're throwing they the ball. Don't. But under 30 seconds to go, they're inside the 10, trailing by three against Florida here with under 30 seconds to go, as I just said. Yeah, yeah, the ball's on the six-yard line with 29 seconds left. So we will have an update on it, whether it's a field goal to potentially send it to overtime or a nice win for Utah in regulation. Matter of fact, there's a play right now. Let's see what happens. It looks it, uh, nothing happens. Yeah, incomplete. It's an incomplete. Uh, you know, I, I thought there might be a flag back there, but um, yeah, it's just uh, you, you know, the, like I said, you can feel the tension in the air in the swamp. And by the way, uh, not to go off on a random side tangent here, but this is what one it makes what makes college football so great. But two, this is why it's great to have these big games on campus as opposed to the neutral sites. I'm not as anti-neutral site as as most people, but when you have a game, you know, Alabama has historically always played neutral site games they're going to go to texas next week utah playing at florida ohio state notre dame jason we have a ball game we have a ball game the wrong kind of ball game oh my florida interception on the goal line 
Kyle Whittingham, uh, we are going to uh, we're going to be talking about this throughout the rest of the night, and I think everybody on this network will be talking about this over the next forty eight hours or so. Um, Utah in field goal range, down three, choosing to throw the ball in the red zone. Interception, Florida. And unless something crazy happens, Jason, Florida is going to win this game, the opener of the Billy Napier era. Look, it was a nice play. Um, You know, when you don't have a timeout, maybe that's why you pass, but you do have enough time. You could have run the ball once, but look, they – they trust their quarterback, and right there was just a nice jump and a nice play made by the DB to step in front of it and take that ball away. But that's a huge win, assuming that nothing crazy happens, as you mentioned. It is college football, so who knows. But 17 seconds away from a big win for Florida, a big win for Billy Napier. And here's the thing, and I think you know this now, and you probably knew it before the season started, but – Anthony Richardson is one of those guys. Yep. And by those guys, I mean those guys that are game changers, that you're never out of a game because that guy exists on your roster. There are a few of those dudes. We know who they are. He is one of them. Because this performance here against a team that brought a whole lot of talent back, and a lot of this was on his shoulders offensively, uh, this was a heck of a performance. And this is the breaks of going on the road to a very dangerous place to play if you're Utah. Because in a four-team playoff scenario, this one's going to be tough. Like Utah now, again, the teams that lose these games, the margin for error grows very, very small. And Utah was already, as you mentioned, a darling. When you say a darling, what you really mean is they're a little off the beaten path. Uh, So they don't have necessarily the equity that some of these other teams, these bigger brands do. So this loss stings stings bad. Um, To lose to an unranked Florida team, even on the road in the swamp where it's never easy to play, that's a big-time win for Napier and a big-time loss for Utah. Well, I'll tell you what. I do want to react to this because it, it you know, it speaks to uh, a tough day for the Pac-12 already. Uh, so I'll tell you what. We're going to come back, react to this. But for the first time tonight, you know, Steve DeSager, uh, I think Art, – has Arnie Spanier given you the last three <laughs> weeks off, Art? What is going on? I can't believe you're here, Steve. I'm so excited. I know that we are doing important things again because Steve DeSager has decided uh, to grace us with his presence. You had Chargers responsibilities, right? Or, or I did Rams, have a okay. couple of those. Said. I am on the list for uh, every Saturday night in September, just for the record. Okay. But Arnie yeah. didn't give you any nights off. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, Mr. Power around here in the hallways. What a game we just <laughs> finished at Florida with the Gators beating 7th-ranked Utah 29 26 and keep in mind in the second half Utah missed a two-point conversion Florida made a two-point conversion and the Gators win by three and Utah on that final drive of theirs they were working on about a 70-yard drive in the last minute and a half they had first and goal at the six no timeouts left after an incompletion they threw the interception in the end zone the tight end had fallen down but two defenders were in front of him the turnover ends it and it's a win for the home team Florida 29 
29-26. Meanwhile, nine minutes to go at number two, Ohio State. And the Buckeyes are leading Notre Dame 14-10. Quarterback C.J. Stroud now over 200 yards passing, two touchdowns for Ohio State. Number 10, Baylor leads 69-10 against Albany with five minutes left. And about nine minutes to go at number one, Alabama. It's Bama 55-0 over Utah State. Blowout wins for Texas A&M and Michigan. Blowout wins for Oklahoma and USC, for Miami, Wisconsin, and BYU. And for number three, Georgia, which in Atlanta today whipped Oregon 49-3. 13th-ranked North Carolina State won 21-20 at East Carolina as the Pirates missed an extra point kick and a field goal attempt in the final minutes. Arkansas in its top 25 matchup at home beat Cincinnati 31-24. 20th-ranked Kentucky has defeated Miami, Ohio 37-13. Number 21, Ole Miss, a 28-10 win against Troy. And Houston, ranked 24th, got a triple over overtime win at UT San Antonio 37-35. There have been weather concerns today. In fact, there were weather delays. Uh, Texas A&M, a long one at halftime before the BYU game got started in Tampa. Long weather delay at South Florida. Mississippi State had a long weather delay, so they've just started the second quarter, up 14-3 now against Memphis. Auburn's in a weather delay, leading third quarter 35-7 against Mercer. Liberty is starting overtime, tied at Southern Miss 24 all nearly a no-hitter in Major League Baseball tonight. This was one of the games on Fox TV from Chicago. The White Sox shut out the Twins 13-0. Dylan Cease, the winning pitcher for Chicago, Cy Young candidate this year, had a no-hitter with two outs in the ninth and allowed a single to the Twins' Luis Arias, who is the American League's leading hitter. He's batting 318 this year. Cease struck out the next guy. One hitter, 103 pitches, and the 13-0 victory. Washington surprised the Mets 7-1. Winning pitcher Patrick Corbin had been 5-17 this year. Baltimore and Toronto each won again. Giants beat the Phillies 5-4. And the Yankees' Aaron Judge hit his 52nd homer, but the Yanks lost again 2-1 at Tampa Bay. The Rays have won five in a row. They only trail the Yankees by four games in the ALEs. Back to you. Thank you, Steve DeSager, Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. As DeSager just told you, Ohio State up 14-10. Weird game at the horseshoe as Ohio State really struggling to move the ball. Uh, But I do want to get back to that game that just went final in the swamp, Florida. Game one of the Billy Napier era. 29-26 29-26 win over the number 7 ranked Utah Utes. First of all, you know, listen. I don't know how well, I mean, I guess this is what we're here for to discuss. So let's just start. Decision by Kyle Whittingham. I understand you have no timeouts. I understand that um you're in the red zone. I also understand that, you know, the clock is stopped. And you can set up for a field goal on second down with 20, 25 seconds left. Now, I know you don't want to put the ball in Anthony Richardson's hands, but there are ways to chew up the clock, throw the ball out of bounds, kick a field goal, and go to overtime. Um, You know, the great thing about this uh, time slot is we're the first people to react to stuff, Jason. I didn't like the play calling. I didn't like the decision making down the stretch. I know that they didn't have any timeouts, but to me, I'm not totally sold that that's an excuse uh, when you have the opportunity to kick a field goal and force overtime. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you have enough time to have varied it a little bit, 
if you felt like you just had had a matchup you could exploit, and maybe they did, then maybe you do that. I would have liked potentially to have seen something like a swing pass, screen pass, something that way where you get a little bit more of the run game involved, but you maybe still put the ball in Cam Rising's hands and give him the opportunity. Maybe if he sees something else, he can change that. Um, I don't know. It's really easy for us to now say we don't like the play call because it didn't work. Um, and I know oh, we I talked about I the same like the, thing when it yeah. came, but you, but I mean, like, had he scored the touchdown in there, I don't know that we're talking about it being that big a risk. I think in that spot, look, one team was going to get the job done, one team wasn't. In that case, it turned out that the defense made a play. I mean, how did Rising play? It was 22 of 32 for 217 yards and a touchdown. Wasn't necessarily a tremendous game. The one thing that you did have going for you was Tavian Thomas going over 100 yards in the game. He had scored a touchdown on 23 carries. He was averaging five per tote. So it's not like you weren't able to move the ball on the ground. Like if you had 30 yards rushing, I'm probably not running the ball in that situation. But at least once, I might have tried to run it at least there because you had had success on the ground. You had, let's see, you had rushed as a team for 229 yards, 5.9 per carry in the game, and scored two on the ground. So I think maybe you could have varied it up a little bit, but it was just a really nice play, and it was not a particularly good throw. It was a low-percentage play once you actually saw it unfold. Worth noting, by the way, the other big game tonight, Ohio State has a short touchdown run. They are now up 21-10 to on Notre Dame. So this one hasn't gone the way that we expected, but Ohio State appears to be pulling away midway through the uh, midway through the fourth quarter here in Columbus. Back to the Utah-Florida um, game. You know, I will disagree with you. I mean, I, I think, you know, it's easy to sit here and say that, you know, we would have loved it. And I'm generally that guy, right? Is like, when things don't go wrong, I'm not the type of person to, uh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And if I'm not the guy, like, if I like something, I like something. And if I don't, I don't. And I don't judge something, whether I like it or not, as to whether it worked or not. I guess my thing is, you're on the road. You have a chance to force overtime. And you have a veteran quarterback, too. And my whole thing is pretty straightforward. If, if you watch the play and we have the call, we're going to get to it in just a second. But if you have the if, – if you have a veteran quarterback, like the one rule, Jason, and I don't claim to be, uh, you know, Ryan Day or Lincoln Riley or some brilliant offensive football mind by any means, you can't throw the ball into traffic. And, you know, we have the call – Let's let's cue up the call, Bobo, if you have it. Uh, here is Florida, Utah, the final play of the game. Guns it for the end zone. Intercepted! Amari Birdie just intercepted it. One yard in the end zone. That was courtesy of Florida Radio, Florida's radio network. Jason, I, I, I'm not. I don't want to overanalyze this because there's other interesting things to talk about, including Billy Napier, including the Pac-12. I guess just what I would say is, you have the veteran quarterback there. You can't throw it into the middle of the field, into the middle of traffic. Uh, for people driving around that don't have access to video, um, you know, it, there's three Florida defenders there. It just, it, it, it it's just tough. I, I get what you're saying. I just think- what I'm saying is I don't necessarily have a problem with the play call as much as I have a problem with the execution of the play. Like what you're saying, you're talking about it being a veteran quarterback in Cam Rising. I agree. So you're going to trust him in that spot. Like in that moment, you're going to anticipate he's not – he hadn't thrown an interception all night. That was the only pick that he threw all game long. He just made a bad decision. I think that's different than it being a bad play call. Because it didn't work, because it turned out to be an interception, I look at that and I was just like, look, Rising just, Rising just got that one wrong. 
that's one he shouldn't have thrown. He should have thrown that ball away, and they should have lived to play another down. I don't necessarily disagree as much with the play call as that's just a mistake on the QB. That's just one that he yep. can't throw in that situation. But that's why you make that call, because you trust that guy. That's one of the big reasons, Aaron, why you had him in your playoff Final Four, and that's why I ended up moving them in there after listening to your argument and being persuaded by it, is because Cam Rising is somebody that you can trust. Hadn't thrown a pick all game, so unfortunately I lay this to his feet because as you described it, and you're accurate, three Florida defenders around, that's not a ball that you throw. That's, that is an incredibly low percentage chance that that's going to work out for you. He didn't do that, and as a result, his football team lost. Tell you what, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We'll talk about the ramifications of this upset. Top 10 Utah falls at Florida. Final score 29-26. What it means for Florida, what it also means for the Pac-12. We'll also keep you updated on the Ohio State-Notre Dame game as Ohio State stretched the lead to 21-10. Plenty more to react to. It is week one. And it feels good to have college football back. Eritor's Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome. At Bed 365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet 365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1 800 Gambler. Terms and conditions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday evening, week one. Jason, I realized I was coming in with that week zero energy nonsense into this segment, so I, I stepped it up just for you. Uh, mm. Let's let's keep it going. So uh, the, 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 the game right now, Ohio State appears to be pulling away. We were excited. We thought that one might be a surprise. Uh, Ohio State was down 10-7 to when we got on air. They're now up 21-7 with three minutes to go. Uh, so it appears as though they're going to pull away. So let's stick with this Florida-Utah game for a minute. What is the bigger takeaway to you in terms of this game? Is it, as you said, incredible start for the Billy Napier era? You know, a program that was just a complete disaster last year. And not just a disaster, but... You think about Dan Mullen, undisciplined, unaccountable, throwing shoes on the field um, to where they were tonight to to win that game that was an absolute war. Or is the story, you couple Utah's loss with an Oregon loss, you know, the Pac-12, they, they keep telling us that they deserve respect, and then they keep getting in these big games and find ways to lose them, man. You know, I'm seeing this stat right now across Twitter, 1-8 in, in the last week, the last nine week one games against the SEC. Uh, and a lot of them are in SEC country. I get all that. But the quickest way to get credibility is to win some of these games. Uh, and Utah left a victory potentially on the field there in, uh, in, uh, in, the, in the swamp. Yeah, look, we could have a different conversation if Cam Rising doesn't throw that pass. But he did. 
I've now watched the replay several times. I don't know what he saw. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. All I saw was blue jerseys. Now, I saw his tight end, the guy he was trying to get the ball to, saying that he was knocked down and he was on the ground by the time the ball was there. That was not going to be a flag that went in his direction. But that's the kind of play that it can wreck your entire season. But to your point, largely about the Pac-12, look, they took off some big bites, right? You go play Georgia – in Atlanta, that's likely going to go similar to how it did today. Now, did you think it was going to be that dominant going in? I don't know. We'll talk about it before the end of the show. Utah is going to play Florida. Florida is a great brand, and that's a tough place to play, but that's an unranked team with a, with a, with a guy who's brand new as your head coach. Agreed. Dude that just left mid-major football to come in to a massive pressure situation. And you still found a way to lose. So there was one team really in the Pac-12 that looked like you would want your team to look in week one, and that was SC because SC dominated Rice and Caleb Williams only had three incompletions in the entire game. Like that looked more the part. Now it's Rice, it's not Florida, and it's certainly not Georgia. But if you want to be taken seriously, you actually have to win games against teams like this. When you get opportunities to play SEC teams, you can't lose. Now, Utah had a chance to win this game and blew it. Oregon got absolutely annihilated by Georgia. I think those two scenarios are a little bit different, but it's not a great weekend for the Pac-12 at all, which what else is new? And and it was weird because I put down several takeaways from just the day and the week as a whole. And the conference that I was most concerned about was the ACC, because Virginia Tech lost to ODU, you saw both NC State and North Carolina nearly find ways to lose to App State and East Carolina. Virginia didn't look particularly good against Richmond. Syracuse and Louisville was not an entertaining game to watch in the evening session. Like, nothing looked good, and now you've got Clemson, and I've still got question marks about them. Not on defense, but I don't know who they've got playing quarterback. But what's interesting is, as we get to the end of the night, because of this result – Coupled with what happened with Oregon, the Pac-12, again, is right there on front street for the exact wrong reasons. Yeah, I agree, and and I do think this one was a little bit different. I I agree with everything you said in that Oregon, 17-point favorite, first-year head coach, on uh, you know, on a neutral field in Atlanta, though, and I, I get that they were ranked pretty high and all that, but you know that, that was probably one of those programs that was really ranked high more more so because of the reputation and because of you know success in previous years. Utah, I know they were on the road. It's a true road game, and, and oh by the way, Oregon was playing the defending national champion that's ranked number three in the country. But I, I think from the floor, from the, the Utah perspective, that's what stands out. I don't, I don't want to take away anything from, um, you know, I don't want to take away anything from what Florida did tonight, and we'll discuss them at some point later throughout the show. But to me, the bigger issue is, is that this Florida is by any tangible, they're probably the at best fifth, sixth, seventh best team in the SEC. Uh, this wasn't playing Georgia. This wasn't playing Alabama. This wasn't playing Texas A and M or even um, whoever. It was going on the road, Florida with a first-year head coach, Utah coming in with as much hype as anybody. So that, to me, is 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 the difference in this Utah game, is that, man, like it was there on a silver platter for you. I know it's tough to ask anybody to go on the road in the SEC, but at the same time, man, like like that's a game, if you're Utah, if you want to be taken seriously uh, as a playoff contender, and, and, and this is one too, Jason, 
in theory, it could be held against them all year, right? I mean, we uh, there's no reason to start talking, you know, wild playoff scenarios now, but they're going to come up at some point. And if Utah, even if they run the table from here as the best team in the Pac-12, this is going to be held against them. What's going to happen when they're going up against a, a one-loss or potentially even two-loss team out of the SEC, potentially for a final playoff spot? So, so that's kind of my thought with Utah. Really quickly here, I should mention Ohio State officially taking a knee. They're going to hold on and beat uh, beat Notre Dame twenty-one to ten. Jason. Yeah. So looking at Utah's schedule, and the, the problem here is this: if you beat Florida, if you go on the road and you start at Florida and you win. That's one of those like workman-like gutsy wins that you're yep. talking about near the end of the year where you're like, man, you remember they went into the swamp. Mm-hmm. That's a tough place to play. They started out on the road and they won that game. That becomes part of the storyline in your favor for the rest of that season. But if you lose, and this seems unfair, but this is just how it is, but you lose, but you lost. You didn't lose to Alabama. You didn't lose to Georgia. You lost to an unranked Florida team. And that's the issue for Utah. Utah, this was the highest rank that they ever entered a season with, ever. Like, this was this was the squad, 14 starters back, number seven in the country. Well, they got SC to play later in the season. They've got to go to Oregon. They, In my opinion, at this point, they got to run the table. I know that exactly. sounds insane in week no, one, but that's just this, where this we is are. Football, yeah. Florida, Florida is would have been a nice win, but it still manages to be a bad loss for Utah, which is unfortunate, but that's the world in which we reside. No, and, I, and listen, we know how college football works. It isn't. This is why the stakes in college football are so big. You lose in week one, it puts you behind the eight ball all year, and we should mention Notre Dame does officially go down to Ohio State. Final score in that one, 21-10, Ohio State beats Notre Dame. Coming up, we react to some of the other games across college football, and we talk about that playoff expansion next. Fox Sports Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome back, everybody. Hour two, Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday night. As DeSager told you, a few things. One, the biggest upset of the day, Utah falls 29-26 at the Swamp. Florida, big win in game one of the Billy Napier era. Georgia dominates Oregon 49 to 3. Jason, really quickly, I do want to get to the the end of of a game that just went final. Ohio State taking care of business against Notre Dame. We opened the show an hour ago. Uh, we thought Ohio State was on the ropes. They were down 10 to 7. Now that the game's over, uh, it was kind of a weirdly, I guess you could argue, I, I would argue, sort of an impressive win. Um, their star wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba goes out. Uh, they still finish with um, they still finish with close to 400 yards of total offense, despite him being out. They run for five yards per carry, and they hold Notre Dame to 10 points, none in the second half. Uh, for a team that, that we had a lot of questions about their defense coming out of last season, I know you probably want to want want the offense to click a little bit better, but I think I, 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 what what do you think as an Ohio State fan? Should you be I I don't want to say happy with that performance, but content is content the right word to describe that? You beat Notre Dame. Notre Dame was number five in the country. You lost Smith and Jigba. Stroud, nothing looked like it was going right. It just all looked out of sorts for three quarters. 
But then Stroud ends the game with 223 yards. It's serviceable. He has two touchdowns and no picks. You run the ball effectively, nearly five yards a carry on average. You easily could have lost the game because the momentum was certainly not with you and things just looked a little ragged out there. And you won the game. In fact, you won the game by 11. You didn't cover the 17, but you probably could have if you had played a couple more minutes. I think more than anything, it's this. You're not Utah if you're Ohio State. (laughs) I think that's the most important takeaway of all of this is you won the game, even if it wasn't the most stylistically beautiful thing. This wasn't exactly a parkour YouTube video from Ohio State, but it doesn't matter because you're already number two in the country. You're not going to drop after you beat the number five team. So I think that you just kind of look at this and say, we got out with this one because that was not our best football tonight. You still end up winning the thing by double digits. You're still undefeated after one game. That's exactly, that's the best you could have done, whether you had won the game 85 to nothing or you won it the way you did it, 21 to 10. So I, I, I think content is probably a fair word. Are you over the moon? No. But I also think that sometime in the third quarter, if you were a Buckeye fan, you had to start wondering, wait, is this just not our night? Because nothing feels right about this. And then you end up with the victory anyway, and you move right along. I want to go to some other kind of games across college football. You know, some some you know, we didn't even talk about Georgia, Oregon in hour one. Now, <laughs> I don't know how much there was to talk about. Georgia wins forty nine to three. They scored on their first six possessions or first seven possessions. Excuse me. They punted uh, on their eighth in the fourth quarter, and then the game was over. Um, I'll tell you, man. You know, listen. I, I know that Oregon may be a little bit overrated and and all that. I was really impressed by Georgia because, you know, here's the thing, right? So so you, just, let's just use Alabama as the gold standard in this sport, right? We've gotten to the point now, and I remember early in the Nick Saban era, being, there was always that year where they'd lose a bunch and you'd say, well, you know, is this the year they catch Bama and they, they've won this, but, but you know, they lost that last year and da-da-da-da. And then it just got to the point in, in the Nick Saban era, probably about five, six years ago, where you're just like, it doesn't matter who they lost. doesn't matter. Uh, until somebody proves to me that they're a better team than them on the field, I'm not picking against them. I'm not picking somebody else to win the SEC. Probably not picking somebody else to win a national championship. And so I bring it up because that was kind of the vibe I got from Georgia today. I know you're in Atlanta. I know maybe Oregon's a little bit overrated and their quarterback, Bo Nix, played at Auburn, and, and you've had his number for four years now. Yeah. But I also know that Georgia lost 15 guys to the NFL draft, five first-round picks off that defense. Uh, they're two leading uh, running backs from a year ago, their best wide receiver, and they look like they didn't miss a beat. I, I was very impressed. I know that some will say that it was only Oregon or whatever the excuse will be. I came away very impressed from, from the uh, or, uh, Georgia Bulldogs today. Yeah, I mean, how could you not? I mean, that's that's the thing. They were still ranked number 11. Whether you think they were overranked or not, that's the only rankings we have. I, if there were no rankings, we could have a different argument here. Bo Nix, I'd forgotten he was a quarterback at Oregon until that game started. I There were a lot of quarterbacks that changed zip codes during the offseason. That one somehow had, had fallen off my radar. As soon as I saw it, I was just like, all right, let me see this for about five minutes because I've seen this for the last several years between these two teams, and it has not gone well for Mr. Nix, and it didn't go well for Mr. Nix today. The one thing about Georgia that I think maybe we overlooked, they lost a ton on defense. We already knew that they were certainly near the top in recruiting and everything else, but they didn't lose their leader on defense. Nolan Smith was kind of the emotional leader of that defense a season ago. Guess who was right out there patrolling again 
on Saturday at Mercedes-Benz, that would be number four on defense. But it was dominant. Like, the biggest question for me with Georgia, and it's got to it's so unfair to even go here, but I've got to. What's Stetson Bennett going to do without some of what he had last year? You put more on his plate, what's he going to be able to do? Well, he looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. He looked good. His talent looked good. The play calling looked good. They look like they picked up right where they left off last year, and that should be frightening. I mean, I had them in my Final Four anyway, but I wasn't sure – I thought that this game would maybe be a 20-point game. I was not – I think it – no one should be surprised that Georgia won the game or even won it by double digits. But winning it in the fashion that they did – I mean, Oregon didn't look like they belonged in the same sport <laughs> with Georgia today. That's how dominant they looked. There were times last year, Aaron, we would come on the air and we would say – Man, when you watch Georgia, they just hit different than everybody else. Yep. Like, it's just a totally unique vibe watching them play football. Today, I kind of had that feeling again where it was just like, gosh, these guys are just stupid good. And yep. it was against a team that at least you knew had talent and had a pedigree and was a brand. Like Alabama looked awfully good against Utah State, where they were favored by 42. Georgia did beat a top 15 team, a team that they were, what, a 16.5-point favorite over, but they absolutely annihilated them in a way where I'm not even sure that Oregon gets up from this. Like, this is a kind of win that sends you careening for a few weeks because they got absolutely humiliated in front of a national television audience, and, and all credit to Georgia because they looked insanely good. I, I don't disagree with any of it, and I'm with you. I, I'll admit it. I, you know, I don't want to admit it because I, I, I have to take an L on this one. Even after last year, I was still kind of, you know, what, what do we really right. make a Stetson? Yeah, like, because, again, and we talked about it last week when we were talking playoff and this and that, this was a guy that in – the, the in the you know the the SEC championship game and in the semifinal we kept saying you gotta bench him to put in JT Daniels because he can't get the job done against Bama and through three quarters last year he was fine but then he really made some plays down the stretch and it's to his credit but but you know I sat there and said well d- you know Bama was banged up and even as of uh you know the 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 semifinal against Michigan we're asking to is he really the right guy and so for that guy to go out and d- do what he did today I I really I have to give him credit he showed me something I didn't it's not that I didn't know that he had but but to see it again. 25 of 31, 368 yards, two touchdowns, completely poised, had a rushing touchdown as well. Um, you know, listen, I, I, we're not going to do like the corny like MVPs of the day or whatever. He was, a, as weird as it sounds, coming off of a national championship, he was one of the pleasant surprises to me, no doubt about it. Yeah, and look, you would imagine that QB1 is somebody that is a focal point. He's coming back from a national championship team, so that should be a positive. But Stetson Bennett is always going to be the guy that doesn't get the benefit of the doubt. He's just not. He never gets it from me. He rarely gets it from you. Like, And I feel bad about it after the fact. I like when he proves me wrong, but I'm going to make him continue to prove me wrong because I still just don't fully buy into it, but you can't ask for much more than he gave you today. If he's going to play that way, similar, by the way, to the way he played in the national championship game, then all bets are off when it goes to – Who's going to win the national title? Because Georgia is definitely one of those three, four teams that's going to be there at the end. They just are. Are they going to get through their conference schedule unscathed? I have no idea. 
All I know is that Oregon, this is going to take some time for them to get over, and Bo Nix still looks like the same Bo Nix of old. He does things that make you really like him, but he plays YOLO ball a little bit too much for my taste. And a lot of times when you play YOLO ball, you don't end up living at all. And that's kind of what has happened here. Uh, Oregon getting beat 49-3, to that's just – that's tough. That's a tough start to the Dan Lanning era, which many believe might just be one year before he ends up going back to Auburn. Oh, but not if he's going to get beat like this, because well, that won't be that won't be acceptable at that point. He'd be a crazy person to go to Auburn with the the chaos that's there yeah, all the agreed. time. Um, let's get to some other games, and then I, I do want to talk playoff uh, expansion, but we can do do that later on, you know, next segment or so. So this one maybe was a little bit off the radar, but I do think it's worth noting, and you'll know why when I say the team. USC 66, Rice 14. And I know it's Rice. I get it. But 538 yards total offense, three defensive touchdowns, seven yards per carry. I know it's Rice. I'm not overreacting. I'm not handing USC anything. This is how you wanted day one of the Lincoln-Riley era to look. Caleb Williams, 242 yards passing, two touchdowns. I don't want to overreact. But when you have a new coach with all this hype and you wonder, all these new players, transfer portal, uh, in downtown L.A., it was probably 125 degrees on the field. That team looked awesome today in a game. They did exactly what you would have hoped if you're an, uh, if you're an SC fan. Because what you're hoping is that they look a lot like the old OU teams have looked over this last handful of years against opponents like this. And that's what you do. You put up 66 points against Rice. You look at Rice's quarterback stats. They had four interceptions on the game. Caleb Williams had three incompletions (laughs) in the game. 249 yards, two touchdowns, ran for 68 more. They had four scores on the ground. It was easy street. It was 7-7 at the end of the first quarter. I was watching a little bit of the game on the Pac-12 network. And then 24 points in the second quarter, 28 in the third. It was just the kind of thing that that's why you hire Lincoln Riley. That's why you bring that guy in because that's what the OU teams, when they had a Baker Mayfield, a Kyler Murray, those kind of guys playing quarterback, that's what they did to teams like this. They put up 9,000 points. That was what was missing, I think. One of the big things that was missing during the Clay Helton era were dominant wins over teams that were flat-out lessers. And that right there is the first step. USC had no control. Once the schedule's out, once you've made your decision, at that point, all you can do is go beat Rice. And not just beat Rice, but absolutely crush rice and that's that's the best that you could have hoped for because you knew what you were getting with Lincoln Riley you were getting a powerful high octane offense and you were getting it ready made with Caleb Williams and so that's that's pretty much the blueprint that is precisely what you wanted to see is an absolute drubbing of opponent number one tell you what we'll come back we'll react to more and we will talk college football playoff expansion obviously a game-changing day yesterday in the sport fun day on the field for the sport of college football we'll discuss all that next Aaron Torres Jason Martin Fox Sports Radio welcome back at bed 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every home run every hit every inning every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. 
There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Everybody, Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Busy night in college football. Number seven, Utah Falls 29 to 26 in the swamp. Other than that, the the main teams, the marquee games, went pretty much as planned. Ohio State wins twenty one to ten at Notre Dame. Uh, Georgia just destroys Oregon. As we said earlier, USC won big in Lincoln Riley's debut. Michigan, to its credit, uh, Jason Martin won pretty big, fifty one to seven. Granted, they were playing Colorado State, but uh, you know, I don't know how much you watched of that one. There wasn't much on in that that twelve uh, twelve p.m. Eastern window. Uh, Michigan looks good, and uh, and yeah, I think everything pretty. Pretty much went to plan except for that Utah game. And so with that, Jason, I do want to transition really quick to the other story of the week or maybe the big story of the week in college football outside of, of course, uh, the games themselves on the field. That said, of course, that we got the news yesterday that the college football playoff will officially expand uh, as Early as 2024, appears as though no later than 2026. That is when the the current TV contract is up. Um, And it was kind of a wild story of how it happened. Was For years, we've been waiting, 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 trying to get the conference commissioners all on the same page. We know that the Pac-12, the ACC, and the Big Ten, when they were at one point in the alliance, pushed back on it. And it was actually the school presidents who kind of overrode, if you will, the uh, the conference commissioners. They, They made the decision. Unilaterally, unilaterally, and now it's up to the conference commissioners to figure out all the logistics. But Jason, we have a four-team college football playoff. I know you were hosting late last night. Uh, what was your reaction to the big news? I mean, I'm excited about it. We've talked about this a lot. I mean, we talked about it a year ago when it didn't end up happening. Could happen as early as 2024, Greg Sankey said, today in Atlanta. That's going to take a lot of time. That's why they wanted to try and do this a year ago, uh, because a lot of teams, a lot of schools, a lot of conferences have to get on the same page very quickly. But if they don't do it in time for 2024, um, those two years, the estimate is over half a billion dollars in revenue if you're able to do it by 2024 instead of 2026. You know what that tells me? That tells me it's going to be try. 2024. Try, yeah. yeah, you're going to do everything that you can. But I love this, and I understand the arguments that you can make against it. I do. But stakes matter. Having games that really, really do seem like there's a reason to watch them, it's important. But the biggest thing for me, because I heard David Pollock on ESPN uh, and others have made this argument too, it's just like this isn't going to change who wins the college football playoff. It's not going to change who ends up winning. Good. I I don't care about that. To me, that's irrelevant to the larger point here. If Alabama still wins it, if Georgia still wins it, if Ohio State still wins it, that's fine. I, I I don't have a problem with who the champions are now. If they're still the champions, that just, again, validates them further. They have done even more at that point in time 
to win a title. It doesn't matter. Like ultimately, the only reason we're watching a sport is we want to believe that the champion in that sport is deserving. And certainly they are now, but you become even more so if you have a couple of other games. But the other thing is now you create hope for a lot of other places. You create hope for more coaches. You create more of a chance for some schools to start the season with their fan base believing if we have a great year, we actually have a shot to make it in that final 12, at which point it's going to be up to us. And all these debates that we've had to deal with, the Central Floridas, the Boise States, the TCUs, through the years, those things go away. But real quickly, I don't think people understand just how lucrative a commodity hope actually is. We'll pay anything for hope, folks, because when you lose it, you're in the worst spot that you can possibly be in. The reason why it's hard to ask that girl out is because before you ask her out, you still possess hope. Once you ask her, yeah, you might get the yes, and that's a big-time reward, but if she says no, yeah, man, that sucks, because then the hope that you had in your hand is gone. Like, the unknown in that case is actually more valuable. The hope that you have about whatever it is that's going on in your life, that is priceless to you. So as a sports fan, entering a season not feeling like you're going to have an opportunity, even if you were to have a magical season, to play in a tournament, to me that's a little bit of a problem. It really is. If you end up with the same four teams at the end, that's fine. You're getting more games with stakes. You're going to get these crazy, like – you're going to get these crazy out-of-conference matchups like the Utah-Florida game, for example. You're going to get something like that. There's going to be more opportunities for upsets even if they don't come. We're already getting blowouts now. I don't think that's an argument to not do this because people are still watching the blowouts, Aaron. I just like the idea that you were expanding it a bit. Now, if you go further than 12, then you're getting to a spot where you're devaluing the thing. But I saw Andy Staples. I'll say this, and then I want to hear your thoughts. Andy Staples, the athletic, made the point. Look at the Big 12, right, when you add BYU and Cincy and Houston and these teams after Oklahoma and Texas leave. You're going to potentially have a big-time conference where eight or nine teams can start the season and think they can win that conference. Think of the dogfight that you're going to see in that conference for them to then be the one that comes out, wins that conference, and then potentially is one of those six teams in that case. I just think it's really good for college football because it's a, more, it's a much more appetizing product to me to watch more games where it's actually an end goal as opposed to just a bowl trophy. Yeah. Um, the one thing I will say, you mentioned the Big 12. The one thing that, that I'm – you know, it was funny. So I was on air Wednesday with Dan Beyer when the initial report broke that out of nowhere they'd be voting on this on Friday. And I was kind of down in the dumps because I figured, okay, this is going to be run by the SEC and the Big 10. And we're going to get every year five SEC teams and four Big Ten teams or five SEC teams and five Big Ten teams, and nobody else is going to get a shot. So when I saw the logistics on Friday that we are, in fact, getting the top six conference champions, so in in all likelihood, most years, the Pac-12 will have a team. In all likelihood, most years, the Big 12 will have a team. I do like that, and I do think the unintended consequence is now there isn't this urgency to you know force yourself or, or to do everything that you can to get into one of those two conferences. Now, I think that's still going to happen because the money's so good, but I saw somebody bring this up the other day, and, and, and I, I wish I could give him or her credit because I don't know who said it, but you know, think about being Oklahoma State right now. You're probably going to be the best team in that conference based on resources and history and ability and whatever. 
Would you rather be Oklahoma State right now or would you rather be Oklahoma fighting knowing that realistically, yeah, probably three-ish SEC teams will get into that 12-team playoff, but with only six uh, at-large bids, you're not getting five SEC teams, even four SEC teams, and all of a sudden the, the pathway for, say, Oklahoma State could be easier for Oklahoma. So once I got the logistics, I had no real fundamental issue with it. Um, I, I do think, you know, I think some of the uh, I, I do think there are unintended consequences. I, I think that it, people can say it doesn't devalue the regular season. It does devalue the regular season. I mean, think about Alabama going into that SEC title game last year, knowing that they needed to win to make a four-team playoff. Uh, Michigan, all of the everything down the line. What what it meant to Michigan, where last year, even if they lose to Ohio State, well, you know, we're going to get in as the nine seed or the ten seed. Ohio State, on the other hand, last year, if they lose that game to Michigan, oh, we'll just come back two weeks later and be fine. So, I think there's unintended consequences. You know, it's one where I'll be real. Like again, some something as important as this. I know that the audience wants us to have a super strong opinion and be really fired up one way or the other. I think there are benefits. I do think there are unintended consequences that people don't realize. Um, and it's one where whatever. Like like now, we, we've known forever that it was eventually going to get to 12, maybe even as high as 16 were some reports. So now that we're here, I, I don't know that I'm upset with it now that I know the logistics. What I would say, though, is I don't think it, it makes it for a better regular season. Um, I don't think the teams that are going to get in we really care all that much about anyway. Like, I hate to be a jerk. It's the truth. Like, you're not watching pit games anyway. Congrats. You you know, you, you made it in as the nine seed. Nobody was watching you to begin with. I don't think that we're all of a sudden going to tune into a, a, a Pit Wake Forest game uh, because now there's there's the, the the 11 spot on the line. So it's one I, I I just I'm not really fired up with about it either way. I'll tell you what, Jason, come back. I'll let you react to what I said. Uh, college football playoff expansion is here, but. Let's switch gears. Second time this evening, let's get to Steve DeSager with What's Trending. Hello again, gentlemen. We had quite a night of college football, as it turned out. Number two, Ohio State, was trailing Notre Dame 10-7 late third quarter, but the Buckeyes beat them 21-10. C.J. Stroud with two touchdown passes. And Florida at home edged number seven rank Utah 29-26 on a touchdown with about a minute and a half to go. And then Utah threw an interception in the end zone in the final seconds on second and goal. Blowout win in the top 10 for Alabama and Texas A&M, for Michigan, Oklahoma and Baylor. Number 3 Georgia in Atlanta today ripped Oregon 49-3. Georgia scored touchdowns on its first 7 possessions. Number 13 North Carolina State was a 21-20 winner at East Carolina and 24th ranked Houston in triple overtime won at UT San Antonio 37-35. You mentioned the early window of games today. Let's not forget what was an early nominee for game of the day the north carolina contest at appalachian state tar heels won at 63 61 app state had six touchdowns in the fourth quarter but missed two two-point tries in the final minute and lost at home. Rutgers with a late TD, one at BC, 22-21. There are games in progress. Idaho at Washington State tied 10-10 at halftime. Oregon State leading 17-0 over Boise State early in the second quarter. Boise with nine carries, minus three yards rushing, and Boise State with just 30 yards passing in the first half. End of the first quarter at Washington on FS1. Huskies 21-7 over Kent State, and the late game starts in a half hour at Hawaii with the home team hosting Western Kentucky. We did mention earlier there were some weather-affected games. They resumed at Auburn and now with 
with under four minutes to go. Auburn leads 42 to 10 over Mercer. There was a first half weather delay at Mississippi State. They're now just starting the second half of play. Mississippi State 28 to 3 over Memphis. Texas Tech in progress. They've just finished up a 63 to 10 win against Murray State. In Major League Baseball, there are just a handful of games still going. The Dodgers have hit four home runs and they lead the Padres. 12 to 1 games in the bottom of the seventh inning. The Angels have Shohei Otani on the mound. He's throwing in the eighth inning, throwing very well. It's a 1 1 tie. They in still Anaheim. let starters pitch in the eighth inning? Whoa, what's, <laughs> did he come in in relief? What happened? As we know, Otani is a different bird. So, yes, he's passed 100 pitches. He's still in the game. It's 1 1 against Houston in the top of the eighth. And to start the day, Philadelphia on the final NL wildcard spot, three and a half games over Milwaukee. Philadelphia lost today, 5 four at San Francisco. Milwaukee is losing 6-5 at Arizona. Bottom of the eighth inning. Back to you. Thank you, Steve Sager. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here putting a bow on a busy day in college football. The Sager just got you caught up on everything. So, Jason, I, I just made my argument for the expansion of the playoff. It's one where, again, I know we're paid to have strong opinions on everything and we have to feel one way or the other and there's no middle ground. I'm in the middle ground. I really am. I, I don't think it makes for a better product. I don't I'll be honest, I, I, I don't know. Like I, I you look at the fact that I guess having home playoff games on campus will be sort of cool. Um but I don't know. I, I don't like I, I, I think that essentially all we're doing is basically um creating a participation trophy essentially for the Iowas and the Wisconsins and the Ole Misses and the Baylors that really have no chance to win. So now instead of saying you're the Sugar Bowl champ or the Sugar Bowl runner-up, you get to call yourself a playoff team. Um, I get it, whatever, but I, I don't know. I, I don't really have a strong opinion on it. I think four is fine. We, we've never once had a year where all four teams in the playoff were good enough to win it. I never thought, you know, we've never had a team that I believe was good enough to win it that didn't make the playoff. So, you know, it, to me, it's just semantics. Call it the Sugar Bowl. Call it a first-round playoff game. We all know what the end-of-the-day result is. That's my personal opinion. Uh, all right. I can I can understand where you're coming from, but I think it's weird that you're the one with this take. And the reason why me. is because you're a college basketball guy. But college basketball. Here's, here's the thing, though. Here's the thing. Though. This, your is sport the, this is the argument. Teams. This is the argument, though. College football has the single best regular season in sports. College basketball has arguably the single worst regular season in sports. So no disrespect right. to you, because Arnie Spanier and I have argued about this for four years. No one cares about the college football regular college basketball regular season, and I do think it's going to be a little bit diminished. When when if Ohio State lost this game today, right now tonight, um, their season's not over, but it is officially go time for the next twelve weeks. If Ohio State loses this in a 12-team playoff, they could lose this game, probably lose another, and they're still finding a way in. So it's not as though no one's going to watch the college football regular season, but I think we have college football as the best regular season in American sports. And this is something I've said for for months on, on these airwaves, is every other sport in America, except for the NFL, which is just the king, every other sport is doing whatever it can to figure out ways to get fans invested in the regular season. College basketball is obvious. The NBA is having a midseason tournament. They're created a rivalry week this week this year. Uh, Major League Baseball is just moving mountains to get anybody to care about the regular season. 
college football has the single best regular season. And now again, I'm not saying that no one's going to watch Ohio State when they're on your TV, but the urgency that you saw tonight, the urgency that you saw in the swamp tonight, it's just it's not going to be the same when we get to 12 teams. It's just not. Yeah, I, I, see, I, I don't fully agree with that, but I also think that, okay, I'll accept the premise that a few games will lose some of their luster, but a lot more games are going to gain luster. You can Your point about Wake Forest and Pitt, I don't know that I buy it. Like, 12 teams is still a very small number of teams that actually play college football. This isn't half of your league. This isn't 25% of your league. This is 12 teams. This is 12 spots. This doesn't feel like you have diluted the sport down to that degree. And the other thing that I think is, again, you're creating hope, but you're giving teams a shot. And I'm talking like... That, yep, I agree. I, I think that matters. Like, you would have had over the last... I think it was Bill Connolly at ESPN and his piece that he put out kind of, and he was very in favor of the playoff. But one of the things he said was, if you were to have done this based on the college football playoff rankings over the last, I think it's seven years, 41 teams would have at least gotten an opportunity. And if it turns out to be the same way in the end, and it's still the blue bloods or the blue bloods that win it all, who really cares? Like you've created a sport where at the very least teams have an opportunity to play, where arguments finally can be settled. And if they're settled in the way that we all think they're going to be settled, that's fine. Money's going to be made. We're going to watch these games. I have a hard time. College football is arguably the thing I enjoy the most. Certainly that and the NFL are, are, are the top of the heat. But in terms of tradition and getting into it, a lot of times I'm more interested in Saturday than I am Sunday. I I, I kind of always have been from that perspective. But I'll admit, when we get to around week 9, week 10, and I'm sitting there and it's number 21 versus number 16, I'm tuning out. But in this scenario, you might have a shot where that 16 can actually get to somewhere that actually feels like there's a goal. You've created a new goal post here. 12 is a small number. I don't want to see it grow any larger than this. I look at you and you're right about the basketball schedule and the regular season. It's completely irrelevant because it's just about getting into a tournament. And at this point, if you can't make that 68, I've got no sympathy for you. I still think there could be arguments for teams, why didn't we make the top 12? But I love the fact that it's the sixth highest ranked conference champions. I agree with that. That get in. So you can have a Memphis. You can have, you know, someone like that. You can have a San Diego State. You can that opens this thing up. And this is the sport of all sports where the discrepancy between the haves and the have-nots has always been sort of at its greatest. And that's been one of the biggest complaints is the fatigue from this school and this school and this school and this school. If you still end up with those schools, so be it. But at the very least, you've added more seats to the table. But I don't think that you have crowded out the room in a way where you don't want to be at the party anymore. The one thing I will say that I do agree with you, first of all, I, I love that the top six conferences are all going to get a bid, which basically means the Big 12, whoever's in the Big 12 under this current format, um, if, if there's more expansion, less expansion, Oregon leaves for the for the Big 10 as opposed to staying in the Pac-12, the Pac-12 is still going to have representation. So I, I, that is one thing I like. And the other thing I, I do acknowledge is that the one thing that I, I you know, again, frustrating isn't the right word because it is just the sport as we've known it. But it, it, it is the one thing I've never been able to defend, and I'm a four-team college football playoff guy. The one thing I've never been able to defend is the fact that a team can go undefeated, win every one of its games, 
and not have a shot to compete for a championship. Mm-hmm. And and I'll be I'll readily admit that. I mean, I remember years ago on these airwaves, Mark Willard and I, Mark Willard at the time was living in San Diego covering the San Diego State Aztecs and it got to, you know, mid-November, 9-10 games into the season, they're undefeated and he's like, "What why why are we even playing?" Like like to get like you said earlier, Jason, to get a, a some kind of trophy uh, you know, when we when we win every game and we don't have a chance to compete for a championship. So, I I guess that part I'm okay with. Um, I worry a little bit about the regular season. I, I like I said, I, I don't think I don't know. I, I guess I, it's just wait and see mode. But it is it is here. It's coming. Um, I don't think it's going to change the sport at the top. But maybe as you said, you know, in the same way that there are some schools that are just happy to make the NCAA tournament uh, and call themselves a tournament team. I, I'm guessing maybe that's where we get to uh, with the college football playoff. Fox Sports Radio, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Coming up, we wrap our two. Looking at the rest of college football. Also start to look ahead to week one of the NFL. It is here. We'll be back next. Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday night. Week one, college football officially in the books. Jason, let's rip through some of these other games. The big ones, obviously, Ohio State holds on to win 21-10 to against Notre Dame. The big upset, uh, if you want to call it an upset, I don't know that it's a huge upset, but number 7 floor, uh, Utah as a 3-point underdog goes to Florida, loses by 3, uh, and Georgia dominates. Just let's rip through some of these other games really quickly. You know, I mentioned them earlier. Uh, Michigan. Again, don't want to overreact to any kind of one single game, uh, but they take care of business. Obviously, the the story at Michigan has been the quarterbacks. Uh, Jim Harbaugh will start one this week. Cade McNamara, he was okay. They actually did play J.J. McCarthy this week, though. That was something that I was kind of curious about, Jason, was does this mean that Cade McNamara gets all the reps this week and J.J. McCarthy all the reps next week? Clearly not what happened. Uh, Cade McNamara plays. J.J. McCarthy plays. Michigan dominates. Credit where it's due, man. They, they picked up right where they left off from last year. They beat Colorado State 51-7. to Yeah, and this is why, and we talked about this last week, this is why you can do this. Now, man, that Solomon analogy was weak. Like, Harbaugh you're, trying you, to break that out. Like, I, I'm sorry, like, I think he needs to reread that story <laughs> because we weren't trying to split J.J. McCarthy in half. Like that sure. that whole analogy kind of fell flat. McNamara was nine of eighteen for one thirty six and a touchdown. That's fine. That's certainly nothing like extraordinary. Next week, I can guarantee you that McCarthy is going to look real good because Hawaii is not very good, like at all. Vanderbilt put up fifty plus on them last week. Uh, Vanderbilt did not do that. I don't believe tonight against uh, Elon who was actually at least playing them kind of tough. So that tells you all you need to know about Hawaii right there. I still don't like this. I still don't think this is a good thing for the Michigan football program. But because of the way their schedule sets up early, they can go ahead and try to do this. Um, McCarthy next week, I anticipate, probably has better numbers. Remember Bernie Fratto, our guy who lived in Michigan for a long time. Last week he was on with us and he said, his sources are telling him it's Cade's job. They're just dragging it out and it's not going to be official until Iowa. Usually he's right about all this mm-hmm. stuff. Um, McNamara, McNamara, I just kind of was just like, yeah, okay. They won 51-7. to He didn't do anything to hurt them, but those numbers are incredibly pedestrian. It's not like I imagine if you watched every down of that game, and I checked in from time to time, but certainly my eye was focused on throughout much of the early window because there were some other games that were a lot better. But 
I don't think you would watch that and be like, well, he's clearly the starter, yeah. right? So mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we know anything more now than we knew last week when we were having the same topic. No, I tend to agree. Uh, I, I tend to agree, and I, I tend to you know, not I don't agree with Bernie. I just trust him, but I also trust what my eyes saw today. McNamara, it's crazy because you know last year he he was never elite, but he was always kind of consistent and just kind of just did it. Mm-hmm. This year, you know, today he he looked a little bit sloppy uh, in that win. Really quick, yeah. by the way, Jason. Uh, tomorrow night, LSU at Florida, uh, LSU versus Florida State in New Orleans. Um, yeah, there's no reason we can't talk a little bit about that one, obviously, and, and we'll recap kind of everything at the top of next hour that happened today. Again, put a bow on college football today. But uh, what do you expect from LSU Florida State? This was probably the one game this weekend uh, that I had just no I, I have no I still have no feel for Florida State wins by 40 in week zero but they're playing an FCS team uh LSU in, in year one under Brian Kelly I'll tell you this is gonna be weird seeing Brian Kelly run out of the tunnel in that LSU windbreaker yeah, but uh do you have any thoughts or strong opinions on what we'll see tomorrow night in New Orleans I don't know, but I've been in, I've been quietly excited about this game Me for too. a couple of weeks because of the unknown that surrounds it. I just don't know what we're going to get here. I really don't. I know LSU's over under for the season's like six and a half wins. I feel like they're going to be a team that by the end of the year we're going to start saying, man, they they're a little ahead of schedule. Doesn't mean they're national championship contenders. It just means I think they're going to be better as opposed to being worse. And then you look at Florida State. Norvell kind of got that vote of confidence towards the end of the year last year. So maybe his job isn't, you know, Scott Frost level at this stage. But I still, I don't, I mean, these are two brands where you just expect them to be good. Like, because usually they are. In college football, LSU, Florida State are two of the biggest brands. Here they are meeting in the Superdome to open the season. I'm excited for it, but like you, I got no idea what actually is going to happen here. I don't know what to make of either one of these teams, which is why I'm so interested in it. No, I totally agree. The other one, uh, by the way, Monday is Clemson, Georgia Tech. I'll just say this really quick, uh, and we we can come back and react to everything again. But I, I think we know by the end of Monday night if DJ's the guy. I don't know if he'll get benched. I'm not saying he's going to get benched, but Georgia Tech's really bad. If if DJ can't Terrible. put up points against that defense, we're going to know by the end of the night he ain't keeping this job for very long. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, this isn't going to be the litmus test because I can't imagine he's not going to look good against Georgia Tech. But at the same time, this should be a throttling. Like, especially knowing what Clemson's defense can do. Georgia Tech should have no success moving the football on a consistent basis. And Clemson really should be able to just do whatever they want in this football game. If this thing is relatively close or unimpressive, that's going to feel a lot different, for example, than you feel about Ohio State. Even though that wasn't super impressive against Notre Dame, it was still against Notre Dame. Clemson needs to do to Georgia Tech what Georgia did to Oregon. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Smart. Coming up, we put a bow on college football. Look ahead to week one in the NFL. Two hours left. Fox Sports Radio. Welcome in, everybody. Hour three, Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres. Jason Martin here on a Saturday night. DeSager just got you caught up, but but what we'll do is we'll put a little bow on college football right now, kind of talk about some of the big games, and then, of course, transition to what's going to be another fun week because, obviously, we are headed to week one of the NFL. Jason, let's just go through. Um, you know, so, so let's get into it, and... 
I guess the place to start, you know, Ohio State pulls away, so so it. I don't really know that there's a ton to talk about there. Let's start with Utah, Florida. Um, thought it was the game of the night. It was the game, and I didn't think it was. It was the game of the night. Also, by technicality, I guess you could call it the biggest upset of the day. Uh, Florida was a three-point home underdog. Utah was ranked number seven in the country. Utah wins. Uh, Utah loses the game. Final seconds of the game. They're in field goal range, out of timeouts. About 25 or so seconds left. You kind of have to throw the ball. But Cam Rising, their quarterback, tried to force it into triple coverage. It's an interception. Florida wins game one of the Billy Napier era. You take it in which direction you want, Jason. When you look at this game, is the bigger story Billy Napier game one gets the win? Or is it Utah as the top 10 team in the Pac-12 takes a loss uh, in the Swamp? I think it's the Utah side because I think that many people – you're going to have some grace for Billy Napier this year because he got in kind of late in the game, wasn't able to do much in terms of recruiting. He does have a stud at quarterback, an absolute star in Anthony Richardson. But the way that that team fell apart down the stretch last year and then him taking it over, he was going to have some time. I, I don't think that he was going to be out the door if he had a bad no. year. Now, if you're a number seven – team in the country and you're playing in a conference that's desperately trying to be relevant again that's trying to get back into what now is a four-team college football playoff before it expands to 12 either in 2024 or 2026 um this is the kind of game you have to win this is the game where the entire conference is looking at you and saying man they've given you the love now you've got to back it up and this kind of loss this sounds unfair because it's a nice win if you beat Florida on the road at the Swamp. It really is. It's one of those you look back at the end of the season like, hey, man, they went to the Swamp and won. It's, it's, but it's not talked about nearly as much as the fact that it turns out to be a really bad loss if you lose it. It's a nice win, but it's a terrible loss if you're a number seven team against an unranked Florida. I know they're Florida, but they're unranked. It's your chance as a Pac-12 school to go and play against an SEC school where no one ever has success – and I understand it, and I love the fact that you take on that challenge. But now that you've lost it, gosh, does it really put you behind the eight ball? Like, this is the kind of loss that we will still likely be talking about or going back to when we're comparing resumes late in November and early in December, especially as you play USC and as you play Oregon. And the game against Oregon, what's it going to mean because Oregon lost some luster for sure. That did not look like a team that was number 11 in the country. Now, that, a lot of that is because of Georgia and how they can make bad, they can make good football teams look awful because of how dominant they are, especially on the defensive side. But this is a much bigger story to me from the Utah perspective than the Florida perspective because there was always going to be some level of grace for Billy Napier stepping into that role. Yeah, I agree with you. The bigger story is it's the Florida story is great. Don't get me wrong. Yes, uh, but the bigger story is Utah, and it's for all the reasons you said. And I will say, I mean, even 48 hours ago, before we knew what the college football playoff expansion looked like. I think it probably meant even more because the Pac-12 just doesn't win these games. And, and I thought, honestly, when we got the 12-team playoff, that it was there was not going to be automatic bids uh, for t- conferences like the Pac-12. So 
I just bring it up because I think even 48 hours ago, I th- I thought this one was bigger in the the larger ecosystem of college football, if you will. But to me, it is it is it's about Utah. It's about the fact that again, off season full of hype, Pac-12 team. There's always one or two Pac-12 teams that you feel kind of good about going into the season and it always feels like every single year they have some sort of showcase game generally it's probably on a neutral field in SEC country against an SEC team and you got to win it I remember the year Justin Herbert was at Oregon they played Auburn on opening night that was actually Bo Nix's first game ironically yeah I remember being on here with Arnie Spanier sitting in the same seat I am now uh, and, and Auburn pulls off the crazy rally to win I think one year Washington played a big game when they were good with Chris Peterson uh, USC played Bama to open one year. It just it doesn't matter who it is. They just can't seem to pull out these wins. And it's funny because you know I do live out here. <laughs> I guess you would call it Pac-12 country. I live in LA, so that's more Big Ten country than Pac-12 country right now. But you know, I, I just remember you know, and not even remember. I mean, I've just talked to people uh, in and around that conference, and and you know, I I, I really do think they have good programs and good coaches and. Uh, I don't think they can compete with anybody, but I don't think they're as bad as everybody thinks either. But the big thing is the way you get respect and people in the conference will tell you, we got to win some of these games. Yes. And so that's why this one was so bad, Jason, because a couple of things. One, this was a situation where um, Florida isn't the best team in the SEC. They're not the second or third best team in the SEC. We just talked about Billy Napier. He's going to be a very successful coach, I believe, at Florida, but he certainly ain't there yet. And so to go on the road, yes, you're, it's a true road environment. The Swamp was awesome tonight, but they're ultimately the sixth, seventh, eighth best team in the SEC. That's a win that you have to get if you're really a great team. And then two, it's also just something that's going to be held against you all year. I mean, if Florida finishes... You know, even eight and four, right? But they get destroyed by Georgia, and then Georgia loses in the SEC championship game to Alabama. And I know it's why are we making these comparisons? It's because that's how the season could play out, where you maybe have a one loss Georgia versus a one loss Utah. It's not even going to be a debate. A two loss Georgia, a one loss this team, a one loss that team. You had the chance, you had the game, um, and I think that's a little bit of the disappointing part too, is that, that you even had the chance to just push it to overtime and see what happens. I understand being aggressive, wanting to play for the win, um, but just a disappointing effort overall. Really quick, uh, Billy Napier, um, you know, I, I know a lot of America probably doesn't know a ton about him, but was at Louisiana, Lafayette, they don't like being called that, they like being called University of Louisiana, but um, you know, son of a coach, actually was an assistant under Nick Saban, an assistant under Dabo Sweeney, and just a guy that that really you talk to people who who know him, just really well respected in this business. I, I you know I, I just sit there and say, again, don't want to overanalyze one win. I think from the Utah perspective, that's where it matters. But this Florida team was undisciplined, unstructured, penalties, dumb decisions, and to see them in one off season be the team that made the smart plays late, made the difference-making plays late, far from perfect, but the combination of, I think, really good coaching with really good quarterback play allowed them to get that win tonight. Yeah, I just look at Billy Napier as the adult in the room. He is the kind of steadying force that Florida has lacked during their last few administrations in terms of head coaches, coaches that were a little bit more gimmicked up, a little bit more kind of razzle-dazzle and wanting to be in front of the camera. Like Billy Napier seems like a lunch pail guy. He seems like he goes to work and he coaches football. There's a reason why when he took that job, the University of Louisiana, 
uh, I'll call them ULL forever, I think, Me too, uh, because yeah. I was in the Sun Belt with WKU and they were still there and it was the same deal. But I, I look at it and look at how they treated him when he left. His players, the fans, the university saying go Gators, putting a Gator chomp on Twitter as their coach was leaving. What does that say about the impression that he made and the level of respect that he had in that role for the school that lost him to still be unable to do anything but say, man, we are rooting for you, coach. Mm -hmm. Like, you have earned this shot. That's rare. That's really, really rare. When a guy takes the bigger job, there's always hard feelings. But it seemed like everybody was behind him. So it doesn't surprise me that Florida played disciplined football. It doesn't surprise me that the risk-taking was at a minimum and that they put the football in the hands of the best player on the field and let him manipulate it. It doesn't surprise me that at the end of this game, they pulled out a win where I think a lot of the coaches that we have seen at Florida uh, would have found a way to lose. I think that's that's the good sign here if you're Florida is – I don't know what you were expecting to be this year outside of what you knew you had with Anthony Richardson. But Napier just, he stayed even keel even when they were down. They end up scoring in the last minute. Utah's driving the field. He's not red-faced. He doesn't look like a Muppet washed on hot. He's just on the sidelines coaching the football game. And Florida hasn't had that in a very, very long time. A guy that, that feels like nothing is going to rattle him or shake him. And I think that's a really, really good sign if you're a Gator fan. Let me ask you, Ohio State, Notre Dame, um, do you feel as though there's a big takeaway out of this? I mean, you know, I, I sat there, I sit here and it felt like the biggest story in the sport of the day at, at halftime. Ohio State's trailing 10 to 7. Uh, the offense looks like a mess. But then I look at it, and, and the final score for people who, who were driving around didn't get a chance to watch, Ohio State did pull away late. They do win 21-10. to 10. Um, I, I don't know that like there's a story that I feel like – I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like, yes, the, the offense wasn't quite as good as I was expecting, but their, their star-wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba went out with an injury. They still finished with almost 400 yards of total offense. They still finished with five yards per carry on the ground. Uh, and they held Notre Dame to 10 points, which is the fewest points Notre Dame's had since uh, two years ago when they played Clemson in what was then the ACC championship game. So, uh, you know – I I would love to sit here and overreact and say that Ohio State wasn't who I thought they would be, and in a way they weren't. But I also, I don't know that there's that much that I take away from this. You know, if you're a state, you want to get the win. I, I agree with you. I don't think Notre Dame is quite as good as the ranking would indicate. Um, but, you know, you want to win by more. You want to have a, you want to look a little bit more crisp on offense, especially early. But you did just win by double digits against a top five team to open the season, and in theory, you're going to make you know you're going to improve as you get healthy and all that stuff. I, I don't know that there's like this crazy takeaway from Ohio State that I that I'm like super passionate about tonight. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I feel the same way. Again, the the, the team you don't want to be tonight is Utah. That's the team you don't want to be, and you're not if you're Ohio State. You beat the number five team. Yeah, you beat them in your facility, but you beat them down one of your key players, maybe your most dynamic player outside of your quarterback on the football team, and when things just weren't going particularly well. Marcus Freeman's club does not have a dynamic offense. That's very obvious. They had a guy that was, you know, a guy that was starting a quarterback that 
you couldn't have picked out of a lineup before you watched the game tonight. So you're seeing all of these things for the first time. I think if you're a Notre Dame fan, you can look at it and say, yeah, it's probably not going to be in our year when it comes to the national championship, but you like some of the things you saw from Marcus Freeman and you like the discipline that his team was playing with. But from the Ohio State standpoint, I don't care if you start out a little lethargic in week one as long as you come out with the dub, and they did. They didn't cover 17. They still ended up winning it by double digits. And when it came down to it in the fourth quarter, there was a clear hierarchy to who was the better team. And the better team ended up winning the football game. So I think more than anything, they got the win. That's all that really matters, especially if you're an Ohio State fan, you can look at this. There are teams that have to have style points in a four-team situation to make the college football playoff. Ohio State's not one of them because Ohio State starts on third base to go back to Harbaugh's analogy, because they're number two to begin the season. They're not going to drop as long as they keep winning. They're going to be fine. So as long as they're not taking L's, they start in a position that enables them not to have to look like the greatest thing you've ever seen for four quarters every week to have a shot to play, if that makes any sense. No, I agree. And, you know, all I would say really about Ohio State, I, I still think there's a little bit to learn about that defense. I think that's probably as bad as the offense will look all year. I think everybody wants to overreact to the defense. Oh, they figured it all out. And for people who don't remember, they were terrible on defense last year, got pushed around by Michigan. You Utah scored a million points on them, even though they beat Utah. Um, at Notre Dame, first-year quarterback, beat up O-line, lost their best wide receiver and running back to the NFL. So I'm not sold that they've completely figured out everything on defense, but to me, um, I'm not going to get riled up because the offense didn't put up 45 points uh, you know, in a game against a, a good Notre Dame team. I think, by the way, really quick, Jason, and I know we got to get to break here, but um, from the Notre Dame perspective, I mean, it, it, what what I would say tonight also kind of showed me from Notre Dame, I, I, I do think they looked really well-coached and well-disciplined under Marcus Freeman. What's the argument with Notre Dame, though? They just don't have those two to three difference-making dudes on either no, side of the ball. Right. And that, didn't we see that tonight, right? Like, like there was just never that moment where they had a running back or a wide receiver just make a play. They didn't have that edge rusher that's just blowing stuff up. They were fine. They were holding on. But it never felt like... One, it never felt like they had complete momentum. But then, two, it was they just never they they had plenty of opportunities to make that big play and really put the pressure on Ohio State, and it just never happened. Does that make sense? Yeah, right. I, I, I they just come across to me as an unspectacular version of a Notre Dame team. Sure. Like, there's obviously talent there, but there's not the household name. To your point. I think that they are going to play people tough all year, but I don't think they're going to have the firepower to you know, go unscathed through the rest of their schedule and things of that nature, they're going to have to bring in those kind of guys. This is a team that's very – it's just kind of unimpressive when you look at the roster, which I think is going to actually speak more to the coaches this year and to the way that – I think a lot of these guys are probably going to do more than their potential probably would indicate if you just looked at them on paper. I liked what I saw from Notre Dame, but I also saw the flaws. And there's there's a, definitely a process here where they're going to have to do a little bit of a rebuild, and it again kind of exposes – why Brian Kelly said, man, it's time to go to Baton Rouge because we might have had our best shot. We weren't able to get it done. It's time to move on. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. Coming up, we switch gears. 
NFL Week 1 is right on the brink. We'll discuss, obviously, the Bills and Rams on Thursday, plus everything else you'll see next Sunday and Monday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here. Saturday evening, college football. Still technically week one. First of all, we got a couple games tomorrow. Well, one game tomorrow, one game Monday. We got a couple games still going on right now. Mississippi State up 35 to 10 over Memphis. Uh, we got a couple Pac 12 games. But, Jason, I do want to switch gears to the NFL, which obviously kicks off this week. Rams hosting the Bills in that first Thursday night game. So uh, let me let me start with this, Jason. Is I, I was I was hosting with Dan Byer the other day. We had this conversation. I so the Buffalo Bills are the favorites in Vegas in many, many sports mm-hmm. books coming into the year. I'm not saying it's wrong necessarily. I do find it kind of interesting. I, I understand the last time we saw them, they played one of the most iconic games literally in NFL history. But this is a team that this core, their best finish ever, not a Super Bowl win, not a Super Bowl, an AFC championship game where they got destroyed. Um Again, I'm not saying it's wrong, but but you know, I mean, you know, you, you think back to previous kind of favorites coming into the year. They either are the reigning champs, made the Super Bowl and lost, have won a championship in recent years. Um, you know, the 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 Chiefs had Patrick Mahomes coming off an MVP year, the Bucks had Tom Brady. The Bills, this core has not done it. it again. I, I don't know that like I'm gonna sit here and passionately defend, you know, make an argument for somebody over the Bills. I just find it interesting. I don't ever remember a year where the Super Bowl favorite, it, the group specifically that they have, has done as little as the Bills have. And and it's not like they've done nothing, but they just aren't the traditional favorite going into the year. Okay, so the reason it's the Bills is because everybody is so high on Josh Allen. Yep. You have Stephon Diggs. You've got Dawson Knox who's really come into his own as well, but you have some other receivers, but having digs enables them to really shine. You go and grab Von Miller. Same thing the Rams did last year. worked out pretty well for them. Von gets the bag to come in and be part of a defense that we all know is very, very good. They didn't show it against Kansas City, obviously, in that playoff game, but they also were dealing with a few injuries there. But they have the talent on paper. Their roster on paper is really impressive. There are I can understand where you're coming from, though. I would even point to another team and say similar things, and that's the Chargers. Because the Chargers, by everybody's indicators, they have a top three roster in the league. All of this stuff, you hear this regularly. Can they make the playoffs first? Like, yeah. It would be cool if they had a playoff appearance before we were suggesting that they should be penciled in as one of the favorites to win the AFC. I love Justin Herbert. I've never seen him play in a playoff game. The reason why is because he's never played in a playoff game. <laughs> yeah. Like, those are the things, like, we are crowning teams based on what their rosters look like on paper, and there are always teams that seem to get the benefit of the doubt. The Bills are now darlings and have been for a couple of years. The Chargers are the new darlings. The Colts always seem to get the benefit of the doubt. Even last year, people seemed to like them, and I'm like, do you know who their quarterback is? I'll take the Titans. This year, I feel the opposite, because I actually like Matt Ryan, But I don't think people are talking about the Colts quite to the same degree because I think the Chargers have become that team. They haven't done anything yet. All of this is based on how much you love the quarterback. And then you look at the rest of that roster, and both of them did do well during the offseason in trying to to stack teams with talent 
And then you look at their divisions, and that's where I'm really with the Chargers. Like, I'm just going to have to see it before I completely buy into it. I can see the Bills a little bit more because you knew they were good. Everybody kept telling you that last year. At the same time, their record last year, not great. Yep. It, it wasn't great during the regular season. They had some serious lulls during the regular season. So I think they're the favorites because people think Josh Allen's going to be the MVP of the league this year, and he may well be. I love Josh Allen, too. I don't see any reason not to. I do think that declaring any team like, oh, they're obviously the favorites in the AFC is insanity I, because there's too many teams that have a shot. There's a whole, there are a whole lot of clubs where you're like, man, if it falls right for them and they're healthy, they've got a roster. They could make it to the Super Bowl. I mean, we saw the Bengals make it last year. They could make it again. I don't think they will. Now they're playing a first-place schedule, and they're not going to sneak up on anybody. But we've talked about it. This is a historically deep AFC. If the Bills come out of it, no one should be surprised. If the Bills don't come out of it, See my answer from five seconds ago. No one should be surprised. I do think it's kind of crazy that we're talking about teams like favorites in a conference that's this deep and this stacked. I'll tell you what, we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit about the Bills and other major storylines going into week one of the NFL season. Before we do, though, let's toss it over to the news desk. Steve DeSager. Can you tell us what's trending, my friend? We still have some college football going on. We mentioned earlier the weather delay at Mississippi State, so they still have 10 minutes left in their game at this hour. Mississippi State leading Memphis 35-16. to As for the four late games, the Hawaii game's underway, already 3-0 Hawaii over Western Kentucky. Halftime oh, on FS1. By the way, Sorry about how can, that, how can we not get these Hawaii games on TV? Shame on... What whoever I mean I know I guess Fox has an a pay per view that has that has happened in, in other years with Hawaii football by the way I mean if they need somebody to broadcast them Fox can call me I'm well I mean I guess I'm working here on Saturdays but I mean I'm somewhat busy currently I'll go I'll go work a Hawaii game I could do it but anyway continue to the say late it. games on FS1 it's at halftime at Washington Huskies lead 31-13 at the break over Kent State just starting the second half at Oregon State and the Beavers are up 24 nothing over Boise State in fact Boise 18 carries 20 23 yards rushing so far. And early fourth quarter, Washington State has scored. They're up 24-10 on Idaho. It was tied 10-10 at the half. With the bad weather earlier at Auburn, they did eventually get the game in. Auburn 42-16 over Mercer. Vanderbilt 42-31 over Elon. Kansas State 34-0 winners against South Dakota. And Liberty won in four overtimes, 29-27 at Southern Miss. There was a double overtime game today with Wyoming winning 40 to 37 against Tulsa as Tulsa missed from 43 yards out at the end. Nebraska was tied with North Dakota, 17 all late third quarter. Sure were. But beat them 38 to 17 and North Carolina won 63-61 in a thriller at Appalachian State. Blowouts in the top 10, wins for Alabama, Georgia, which beat Oregon 49-3. Blowout wins for Texas A&M, for Michigan, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Number two, Ohio State came back to beat Notre Dame 21-10. And Florida, on a touchdown with about a minute and a half left, defeated seventh-ranked Utah 29-26. The Utes threw an interception in the end zone in the final seconds on second and goal. Other winners, North Carolina State, Arkansas, and Houston, which won in three overtimes at UT San Antonio 37-35. Each team kicked field goals in the final Final minute of regulation, UTSA threw incomplete on the final play of the game. As for Major League Baseball, the Dodgers hit four home runs and beat San Diego 12-1. to 
Padres had just two hits, two for 29 at the plate. Mookie Betts hit a three-run homer for L.A., his 33rd. Freddie Freeman went three for three, three runs scored. He's batting 326. The Angels got a great outing on the mound from Shohei Otani. Eight innings, one run allowed, 111 pitches. Angels tied 1-1 with Houston in the bottom of the 10th. And the Milwaukee Brewers have won in 10 innings at Arizona in a comeback. 8-6 the final. The Brewers had been three and a half games back of the Phillies for the last wild card spot. You can make it two and a half now. Phillies lost today, 5-4 at San Francisco. This Brewers win was because of a run in the eighth, a solo homer in the ninth, and two runs in the tenth. Seattle won its sixth straight game. Tampa Bay won its fifth in a row. And the White Sox beat Minnesota 13 to nothing behind a no-hit bid from Dylan Cease. The winning pitcher had a one-hitter, as it turned out. Allowed a single with two outs in the ninth. And we'll talk a lot of college football in about 15 minutes, but uh, the Athletic was on top of it as far as that Georgia blowout of Oregon today. Georgia's biggest blowout of a ranked opponent and Oregon's worst loss as a ranked team. How have defending champs done in when they have an opener against a ranked opponent? Well, we had Bama a few years ago blow out USC as a defending champ 52-6. to but we had 49-3 Georgia defending champ blowing out Oregon today. Back to you. And it could have been much worse than that to Sager. Uh, I was, what, 49-7, I think, late in the third. 49-3. See what Kirby Smart said after the game? What would he say? Better players. Yeah. Well, I mean, first, he was, yeah, he was saying Dan Lanning's going to do a really nice job. And uh, he knows them real well, of course. And he said, they're going to bounce back from this, but he knows we have better players. He'll never say that, but he knows we've got better players. I like that because yeah. that's accurate. Like, that's that's just a true statement. Like, that, it sounds like it's a slight at his team, but it's really not. It's just like, dude, we're just loaded. He knows we're loaded. There, there really wasn't going to be a great chance for them to win this game. They're going to be fine. I like the fact that it's just an honest take from an honest guy and Kirby Smart. I agree. And, um, you know, we, we can get back to the NFL and just have a second, but that, that that really was one of my biggest takeaways. Is and I said it earlier uh, today, but one of my biggest takeaways from college football was is that there was a moment in time um, where, sort of early in the Saban era, but not really early, probably the last, you know, probably seven eight years ago. Um, it was a thing every offseason was you, you tried to figure out okay is this the year you get Bama well they lost this guy to the NFL well they have a starting quarterback well they lost this court or they, they have a new starting quarterback they lost this coordinator they lost this guy off their coaching staff and then every year after you know six seven years you're just like there's there, until somebody just definitively knocks him off I'm not picking against Bama and I and I think we got to that point today with Georgia where um you know top 15 matchup and maybe Oregon's a little bit overrated but Oregon or, or Georgia was just awesome and they lost 15 guys to the NFL draft and they didn't miss a beat so uh, credit to Kirby Smart credit to Georgia uh, not to take away anything from Ohio State uh, because I, I, I'm not devastated that they quote unquote only won by 11 when they were a 17 point favorite I think it's hard to come out of today saying anybody other than than Georgia and Alabama are number one and number two in any order. So, Jason, get back to the NFL. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Cool. I was going to say if, if you if you disagree, please jump in. But um, you know, Ohio State did what they had to do against against Notre Dame, but Georgia was freaking awesome, man. So uh, I was going to say NFL. You know, you and I at this time last week kind of ripped through some of our our, our the storylines that we were most intrigued by in college football so let's do a little bit of that right now for the nfl obviously the the season opens on thursday night rams hosting the bills but just in general jason give me a storyline or two that you're especially intrigued by 
I mean, Tua and Jalen Hurts are because both of those teams went and surrounded those guys with weapons and there's still question marks as to whether or not they're the long-term answer at quarterback. I think that's definitely got to be one of them. Uh, I think that increasingly Tom Brady is becoming one of the biggest stories, one of the biggest stories to follow because he's legit distracted now. Like we've had the discussions about why he stepped away and is he dialed in and all this. Well, if what's being reported in page six and has now been picked up by virtually everybody else that Giselle left Tampa, went to Costa Rica, that she was furious when he unretired, that she felt like finally it was going to be her time and that they're, you know, I, I don't know what that means for the future of their marriage, but that that's a that's in a real tough spot. That's got to affect you like that. That has to. That's a distraction that if I'm a Bucks fan, I'm leery of. And I just want to see what Tom does this year because he hasn't been around his team as much and they've got some new weapons. They have some guys that are not going to be there that he's used to having around. They've got a new head coach as well. Uh, I think that is increasingly becoming more and more interesting by the day. And for for reason, I just hope that story is blown a bit out of proportion and it's not as bad as it reads. It reads like... There is serious trouble on the home front, and I can't imagine that being a a very good thing for the prospects of this season for Tampa Bay. I I agree uh, with everything, and yeah, I mean, I think when when he came back, and um, you know, the, the the team knew he was away, but they really didn't have any details. You know, I kind of took that as as to me. I, you know, I think a, obviously a really bad sign, and then we got a few more details uh, in in recent days. I'll give you one in terms of storylines. So, um, you know, we've talked a lot about a few different things, but I'm a little curious about the Kansas City Chiefs. I think you know, and I've talked about this before, but you know, you look at at, at Patrick Mahomes. I do think there's like this notion that like I I just don't think he ever gets criticized for anything and to to his credit there's very rarely a reason to criticize him but the offense really struggled last year uh, I do think Tyreek Hill is one of one I think he completely changed how you had to defend them and again I'm not an X's and O's guy I don't claim to have all the answers as to what you had to do to slow them down but he is I think the single biggest kind of X factor outside of the quarterback position on the offensive side of the football in the NFL. And, you know, I just keep seeing the, this stuff of, you know, well, they, they they added this guy and they, they have this guy now. And it's like, there's only one Tyreek Hill. The offense was struggling a bit and went through cold stretches, including the second half of the AFC championship game last year. I'm just not sold that this thing keeps rolling the way that it has without Tyreek Hill. To me, I think the Chiefs are one of the more interesting teams in the NFL. I agree. I mean, look, their offense got on track about after about seven, eight weeks. Um, they started to kind of get back to more of what you would expect. But outside of Aaron Donald, I continue to believe Tyreek Hill is the most one-of-one guy in terms of what he produces and how difficult he is to defend and what it is that teams have to do to deal with him and how tired they get as a result of it. So it's the sum of the guys they've drafted and Juju and some of the guys that they have paid and, and brought in, is the sum going to be bigger than Tyreek Hill? I don't know. I think the same thing's true in Green Bay, which is why I'm interested there. No Devontae Adams. Alan Lazard's going to be your wide receiver one to start the season. And then you've got some rookies and you've got Aaron Rodgers publicly saying some 
not so flattering things about some of those guys. I want to see what that looks like because we're getting to a point where Aaron Rodgers has the same number of Super Bowls as Trent Dilfer and Brad Johnson, mm-hmm. despite the fact we are told over and over again no one's ever been more talented that has played the quarterback position. So I think, I think that's one. And one more for me, especially now that Jimmy Garoppolo is still in San yep. Francisco. Man, we're being told a lot about how great Trey Lance is, and I still haven't seen it. Uh, I can't wait to watch him play. I hope they're right because I want to see great football as much as we possibly can. But that last preseason game for Trey Lance, that was not all that good. It was not very impressive. I think there's going to be some serious highs, but there's going to be some serious lows this year. So my storyline there is uh, this dark horse MVP candidate Trey Lance talk that I heard three weeks ago and this – Outside Super Bowl shot for San Francisco. Man, there's a lot of pressure on that guy because the dude that's still on their roster, for whatever the reason is, they couldn't find a trade partner and all those things, he's still there. I don't know how I feel about that if I'm Trey Lance, but I know how I feel about it watching from the outside. That's appetizing. That's going to be very, very interesting all year long. This is Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday evening. We'll get back to NFL storylines in hour four. But coming up next, Steve DeSager with his extended update. Great to have DeSager back. He will get you caught up on everything you missed across the world of sports. That's next. Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey, everybody. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday night. As we do every Saturday around this time, we bring in Steve DeSager for an extended update. DeSager, what do you got for us? Well, let's start with the Notre Dame at Ohio State contest tonight as the Irish were winning late third quarter. 10-7 and the Buckeyes came back for the victory 21-10. So, and Matt Brown, great college football writer and a good follow, is on top of this. He's with The Athletic now. Notre Dame's record against top five opponents in the AP poll going back 20 plus years is 2-22, and 22, including the loss tonight at Ohio State. The decade before that, they had a great record against the top five, 13-4. But since the late 1990s, not good, including the L tonight, and the Irish punted eight times. The two Ohio State running backs combined, 29 carries, 175 yards. So they get the comeback win and two touchdown passes from C.J. Stroud. And as you mentioned, wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba had left early due to injury. So for Ohio State, that's yet another opening victory. They haven't lost a season opener since 1999 against Miami. So that's 23 straight opening wins for them. And in fact, Ohio State, according to AP, 
has not lost a season opener at home since Woody Hayes' final season in 1978. And this streak of 23 straight season opening wins is one of the longest in college football history in the era of having the AP poll, which goes back to the 1930s. The longest is Nebraska, which through 2014, they won 29 straight season openers. Florida Gators through 2016 won 27 straight, and Ohio State 23 straight victories in season openers. The Florida win over Utah was a sensational game tonight in Gainesville. Seventh-ranked Utah falls on a touchdown with about a minute and a half to go, 29-26. And I don't think we can talk enough about the Gators quarterback. Anthony Richardson just on the ground, 11 carries, 104 yards, three touchdowns. Florida early in the second half stopped Utah on a fourth and goal, remember, at the one. No points at all out of that drive, and Utah lost by three. North Carolina State preseason number 13 got a win at East Carolina 21-20 as the Pirates missed an extra point kick and a field goal attempt in the final minutes. North Carolina State scored on a touchdown on a blocked punt late in the first quarter. That turned out to be key in a one-point victory. UCLA was at the Rose Bowl today, trailing in the second quarter against Bowling Green 17-7, but the Bruins beat them 45-17. In fact, UCLA had 30 first downs compared to nine for Bowling Green, and a yardage advantage of about 625 to 160. Alabama had 30 first downs tonight against Utah State, 55-0 Bama the final. Utah State only seven first downs, 10 punts, 11 penalties. Now, I don't know who Utah State beat in the opening win last oh, I weekend. Do. That's what I, you know, that was what I was going to say is I mean, I don't want to I don't want to put, you know, the cart before the horse, but pretty clear there was a, a body blow effect on Utah State tonight. That was probably why Alabama won so convincingly. Oh. They just got so beat up last week in Logan against the uh, UConn Huskies who once uh, they beat Central Connecticut today. Yes. Case, UConn case Mighty UConn one. was up 7-3 late in the third quarter and yeah. beat Central Connecticut 28-3. A little hangover, a little hangover, freshman quarterback <laughs> No big deal, whatever. Speaking of quarterbacks, Alabama's Heisman winner Bryce Young had five touchdown passes tonight, plus five carries for a 100-yard rushing and a score. And guess what? We finally get this game next Saturday on Fox TV, Alabama at Texas. I mentioned that Jim Morris, Connecticut Huskies won, and his old team UCLA won. I got to mention on the UCLA win, 100 degrees, attendance 27,000 at the Rose Bowl for the opener against Bowling Green. And no, UCLA's not in school yet. This happens early season every year. They're on a different system, not semesters. You know, and the stadium's not next to campus exactly anyway. But uh, and it was an 11.30 a.m. Uh, you know, yes. I, I understand. I get the passion at UCLA isn't Alabama, Georgia, Florida, whatever. Um, if it was a 7.30 game against a half-decent team, the crowd would have been fine. It was an 11.30 a.m. kickoff. As you said to Sager, school's not in session. I mean, I'm not saying they would have had 94,000 people there, no. but they they would have had 50. You know, they, the place would have been half full if the weather wasn't. Yeah. I mean, I live next to the Rose Bowl. It, it was, I don't want to use the word oppressive. It was pretty freaking impressive. It was probably 125 yeah. degrees on the field. I'm not even kidding. It was 105 driving here outside yep. the studios this afternoon. And this was the lowest UCLA crowd they've ever had at the Rose Bowl. And they've had home games there for 40 years. Meanwhile, downtown LA, close to 100 degrees for USC, ranked 14th, beating, or should we say, creaming rice 66 14 attendance 60,000 for that sorry and in san diego it was even 100 degrees there that's how hot southern california is these days the new stadium opened arizona beat san diego state 38 to 20 it's a new stadium that holds about 35,000 they list 34,000 you know with arnie's wildcats we usually mention (laughs) 
Arizona football kind of there, but the Wildcats today. Mm-hmm. There you go. There's the W. And by the way, this is, uh, if you're familiar where the San Diego Chargers played for decades in Mission Valley of San Diego, that old dump of a stadium <laughs> built in the 1960s, the it was falling apart. It, it, it just was. doesn't rain that much in San Diego, but every time it did rain, it would leak. It would not, it's not, it was not a good place. And for 15 years, the Chargers tried to get an agreement with the city saying, we need a new stadium. Never happened. They moved. Guess what? As soon as the Chargers moved, the city of San Diego tore down the stadium and built this place half the size in the parking lot right next to it. And San Diego State now owns the property. But no 70,000 seat stadium there. They'll never host a Super Bowl again in a tourist city that's part of their economy. They're never going to get that again. Interesting. I hadn't considered that, Sager. You're right, though. Wow. Huh? And they're not going to any college football playoff games. I mean, nope. you know, the Ram Stadium has it this year. Yes, and I was going to say, in a world where we're expanding the college football playoff, coming up. Thank you to Sager, by the way. Coming up, back to the NFL. Maybe a little NBA. More Fox Sports Radio next. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Welcome in, everybody. Hour 4, Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here on a Saturday night into Sunday morning. Week 1 of the college football season is in the books. Desager just got you caught up day, uh, Got you caught up on some of the big comings and goings of the day. Still a few games about to go final. Mississippi State, after a lengthy weather delay, up 21 points late in their game. Oregon State versus Boise State. And Washington taking care of business against Kent State. Jason, if I asked you your single biggest takeaway from day one of the college football season, week one of the college football season, I really should say, what would you say it is? Georgia good answer that's probably that's probably my answer I mean like I'd written down uh, I'm gonna do this every week something between three and five takeaways from the day and obviously I'm doing it before the show starts so it changes on the fly and when you see Ohio State finish off Notre Dame and when you see what happens with Utah and Florida and things like that but the things that I had written down the first thing I wrote down was Georgia annihilates Oregon it's not that they beat Oregon it's that they beat them in a way that reminds you what a football factory Kirby Smart has created in Athens. What he did last year, winning the national championship after losing in the SEC title game, but looking like the better team when the national championship was on the line. And then, whatever you want to say about Oregon, the only thing that you can really point to at this point is, look, they were the number 11 team, according to the polls, when they entered this game. And they didn't look like they were the 111th team at the end of it. And a lot of that credit goes to Georgia. I don't think Oregon is anywhere near as bad as they look today. But really good teams, ones that are frightening, ones that are scary, have a knack for making good teams look horrendous. And that's kind of what you saw. Like Oregon did not look like they belonged at all on the same field with Georgia today. So, look, Alabama did its thing. Ohio State Finished off Notre Dame. You can point to uh, you know some of the other blowouts, the USC story, and all these other things. But the biggest takeaway to me is last year's defending national champion, who lost all those guys on defense, who lost receivers, who lost running backs, showed up and absolutely mowed down a big time college football brand, as if nothing had changed from last year. So to me, that has to be the main takeaway. 
So it, it would probably be mine too. And and I've said it a few times now throughout the show. If you've missed any of it, you can go back and download the podcast. I've said it a couple times and I stand by it is that there have been, um, you know, several times uh, early in the, the Nick Saban era at Alabama when you would go into a season and look at players lost, coordinators lost, a schedule, they have this tough road game and say, well, maybe this is the year that LSU wins the division, or maybe this is the year that Florida or Georgia in the other division wins the SEC. And year after year after year, it would be Alabama, um, you know, hoisting the trophy at the end of the year, right? And so uh, to me, I think Georgia reached that level today where they have, they have they've always been talented, but you win a national championship, you lose a record-setting number of NFL draft picks, 15 last year, and you go ahead and get that victory the way that you did. And then to your point, Jason, and to DeSager's point as well, you both brought it up, Kirby Smart saying after the game, you know, what was the difference? Well, we had better players. And and, and owning it, uh, they mentioned one of the few returning starters on the defense said uh, coming into the game that he believed they weren't going to miss a beat, and it shows you how well Kirby Smart's recruited, how well Georgia has developed, and the depth and talent that they have. The other the other funny thing that they said during the, the game, Jason, it cracked me up, was they said that Georgia had the second fewest transfers in the, pow- in the Power yeah. Five. And the exact quote from Kirby Smart was, we're only going to take a transfer if, if he's better than the guy we have on their roster. They took one transfer. Which basically said of, and I know it's positional and all that, but they basically said of everybody that's available, we think all of our guys are better except for maybe at one spot. Uh, Clemson, Dabo refuses to take transfers, was the only one that had fewer, was zero. But that shows you how much Kirby Smart has confidence in his team. And it looks like, once again, we're on a collision course with Alabama and Georgia potentially uh, in Atlanta. And, and I know we're a long way away, but but that was probably my biggest takeaway as well. I'll say this really quickly. Um, my sec- my, my, I'd probably say Alabama, uh, Georgia excuse me, is my biggest takeaway, but if I had to go in another direction... I'll go ahead and, and, and give credit in the division to the Florida Gators. Sure. Um, yeah, they, they they beat Utah 29-26. For people who missed the game, Cam Rising, the quarterback for Utah, uh, under 30 seconds left, out of timeouts, passing in the red zone, ball is intercepted, intercepted, Florida wins the game. But why I bring it up, not because Florida had some amazing upset. They were only uh, a three-point underdog, but they were a home underdog, and they were at home. But you look at this team and this program. One, how quickly it fell off the rails last year, but in specific, why it fell off the rails. Undisciplined, lack of accountability. They were 119th in penalties last year, 115th in turnover margin. Uh, as I said, they are the program that, as of two years ago, lost a, a game that, that actually kind of cost them a playoff spot. We didn't realize it at the time because a kid threw a shoe in the middle of the game, penalty, uh, game-winning field goal a few plays later for LSU. So a program that had such little accountability, it seems as though the structure and discipline is there. It's still going to be an uphill battle. They're not Georgia. They're not Alabama. They might not even be Kentucky or Tennessee this year, but a great opening night win for Florida. Yeah, I mean, if you want to point to a few other things that stood out, I mean, I think the Florida point – what I had written down from that, because that was another takeaway for me, was that Anthony Richardson is the truth. Like, he is exactly what we saw last year, and now he's got a head coach that's going to, I think, make smarter decisions, and he's going to keep his team from getting on emotional roller coasters that can lead to bad mistakes. And I think the other thing that's important for this Florida win, 
three of Florida's first four games this year were potential losses for them. I'm going to exclude South Florida from that list. I think Florida was going to win that game. But if you lose to Utah, next week you've got Kentucky coming in. They've got a first-round draft pick at quarterback in Will Levis. They are always well-coached now with Mark Stoops. If you had lost to Utah, the momentum with Kentucky coming to town would have felt a whole lot different than it's going to now. And then you get Tennessee two weeks after that and Josh Heupel's powerful offense that put up about a trillion points on Thursday night. And I can't wait to see them later in the season against Georgia and Alabama. I just want to see how they match up with those defenses and whether or not they can score points. But... This could. This is a big-time game for Florida in that it started them on the right path considering their early games, their early schedule is anything but easy. Three of those, it was very possible. They were going to be one and two going to Knoxville with a chance. And, and Tennessee may be better than they are. At that point, they could have been one and three. Beating Utah to open the season – that just kind of ignites the fire probably in that locker room and around that campus again. That's going to be a much more fun place to play because Cam rising through that interception instead of throwing a touchdown that would have led to a heartbreaking loss. Really quickly, two games left on the week one schedule. There's still technically a few going on now, but when they go final, one tomorrow night, LSU versus Florida State in the Superdome in New Orleans. Um LSU three-point favorite, Brian Kelly's debut, Florida State coming off of a 40-point win. I said it earlier in the show, Jason, but I stand by it. Uh, this is this was the game more than any other. I, I, I think it's just really hard to know what to expect. I mean, you think about LSU, obviously we know first-year head coach, we just mentioned it, Brian Kelly, but keep in mind, this was a program that the last time we saw them in a bowl game, they had 40-something scholarship players. Uh, so a lot of transfers, new head coaching staff, and then Florida State, you know, kind of, uh, not even kind of, it's it, so, I don't want to say it's definitively, but make or break year for Mike Norvell. It's year three. I understand he came during COVID. I understand it's been a rebuild, but this is the kind of game, you know, Florida State, had, you think about it like this, Florida State won a national championship in the last decade. So to think how far they've fallen, where missed the bowl game last year, obviously two years ago was COVID. You got to get this win at some point. You know you're Florida freaking state, and and you know again, it's kind of like what we were talking about with Utah. Is you're older, you're veteran, you're more experienced. LSU as a first year head coach. I understand you're going into SEC territory, but you know with Florida State, I think it's a big game for them as well in year three of the Mike Norvellier. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, again, I don't know what either one of those two teams is going to be at the end of the year. It's two big brands meeting in week one. Norvell, he's going to have to continue to do good things because there's going to be other guys breathing down the neck of that job real quick if they aren't already. And then with LSU, it's just here's the Brian Kelly era, and this is going to be just intriguing to say the least, how he fits, how soon the things that he does well as a coach and certainly as somebody that brings in staff and, and what he's done, and we know what he's capable of doing. He's never done any SEC before. So – we have to see how fast LSU gets up to speed. They're over under on the season being six and a half is awfully low to me. I feel like they probably exceed it just because I have a lot of respect for Brian Kelly in terms of what he can do from an X's and O's standpoint on the sideline. I think the matchup is more intriguing than the teams are good, but I'm okay with that. Like I, I'm still looking highly forward to watching that uh, tomorrow night. Also want to watch Dion's crew tomorrow afternoon against Florida A&M as well so we can see the, the kid that decided to go to Jackson State and play both ways – 
as opposed to you know going just about anywhere else in the country. I want to see him play. Other game on uh, Monday night, excuse me, Labor Day night. Obviously, we always get that one Monday night game. Great way to wrap the weekend. Clemson and Georgia Tech. And I said it earlier, and I stand by it. I think that, you know, one, I I think it's weirdly one of the single more interesting games, even though Clemson is a three-touchdown favorite. Uh, You look at Clemson, uh, we're talking three, four potential first-rounders on that defense this year. I I saw Dabo do an interview where he said he thinks he has eight potential defensive linemen that could eventually be drafted. Like, we're talking a national championship caliber defense. But it always comes down to, or at least it does right now for Clemson, what do they get out of the quarterback position? DJ Uyla last year, 55-56% completion percentage, 9 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. There really was no option behind him. This year they do have a 5-star Cade Klubnik. Obviously none of us have seen him. We don't know exactly what to expect. But I'll tell you, you know, I, I said it earlier, but I really do think that we're going to know if DJ's the guy uh, pretty early in in this season, and I think we're going to know by the end of, of Monday night because this Georgia Tech team was really bad last year. The defense especially struggled throughout the season. They finished 117th out of 130 teams in total defense, gave up almost 500 yards per game, 452 to be exact. Really bad defense. If DJ can't, If they can't move the ball up and down the field, if they cannot pass the ball the way that you're going to need to pass the ball against elite teams, I think we're going to know it pretty quick, and I think we're going to know whether Clemson is uh, you know, on the verge of potentially having to make a quarterback move, Jason. Yeah, I mean, I think it's the start of it. I don't know if you're making the move based on that because you've got your first three games, you've got Georgia Tech as we talk about Monday, then you've got Furman, and then you've got Louisiana Tech. I think by the time you get to September 24th when you go to Wake and then you have NC State the following week, that's when this decision has to have been made. I tend to think Klubnik's going to be the be the quarterback by the time you get to that point. I, I don't really I know how highly DJ was touted. It just didn't translate last year. Now nothing felt right about Clemson last year, and maybe that's just the aberration. We, as you mentioned, their defense looks all world. Um, and hey, if you've got a defense that's that dominant then maybe you can win a national title because we kind of saw Georgia do that last year because we didn't necessarily believe in the quarterback. We even said, I remember us being on the air, uh, the SEC title game, hey, man, you can't put Stetson Bennett out there in a college football playoff. Well, they went ahead and did it, and they were able to win with him. And he certainly wasn't touted to the, to the degree that DJ was uh, last year. So he's going to get the opportunity, but I just tend to think you've got a five-star prospect, and I can't imagine that everything last year just gets erased and DJ's just in, just in a total stud this year like that. They don't have the toughest schedule, does Clemson, at any point during the year, but I wouldn't be shocked by the time you get to October we've got a new quarterback. In fact, if I had to predict it right now, I think you will. Yeah, I, I actually do agree with you on that. Uh, and yeah, Clemson, Georgia Tech will wrap the weekend on Monday. And again, a very, very interesting game to close week one. Uh, coming up, we go back to the NFL. A uh, lot to discuss. Week one of the NFL season is coming up. We discuss that next. Air Torres, Jason Martin, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field. 
Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Fox Sports Radio. Aaron Torres, Jason Martin here closing out a Saturday night. Really quick, Jason. You know, one game that we did not talk about. Two things here. One, Texas Longhorns. Debut of the Quinn Ewers era, they went fifty-two to ten. I'll be honest; I'm looking at the stat line right now. This game was on um, uh, Longhorn Network. Longhorn Network, fifty-two points. They had three hundred eighty-three yards of total offense. Um, you know, one hundred thirty-four yards rushing, two hundred forty-nine yards passing. I don't know if they just had amazing field position or what, but I mean, the stats don't like blow you off the page in terms of what uh, what they what they did. I will add though, the reason I'm part part of the reason I'm bringing it up, we just got a tweet from Quinn Ewers who said, "How'd I get towed during the game?" Laughing emoji. So, action packed night for Quinn Ewers who threw for 225 yards in his Texas debut, two touchdowns, and then apparently got his car towed after the game. Well, it's a look. They won fifty-two to ten, and then things balanced out for you because your car was towed. Your Quinn Ewers. Eventually, you hope if you're the prospect everybody says you are, that you end up getting away with that stuff because everybody knows your car. But right now, you don't have that level of equity. So sixteen to twenty-four for two twenty-five and two touchdowns not going to be enough. Uh, you're still going to have to fund whatever money it is to get your car. Here's how you how you don't get a tow during the game. Don't park it where you're not supposed to park it. Like that's Whoa. that's that's the other side of this. The real Quinn Ewers uh, situation is next week when they play Alabama. Like. That's when we're going to find out a little bit more because we're actually going to be able to see that game. I don't think I have the Longhorn Network. I kept trying to find this game because I wanted to watch some of it, and I'm pretty sure it's not available through my cable system. Yeah, I don't think the Longhorn Network is uh, – I don't think it's going to be around very much longer. Just yeah, because me either. Because some, some semantics with the new uh, you know Texas moving to the SEC. Really quickly, Jason, let's get back to uh, the NFL. We are, what, four days away from week one of the NFL season, kind of just going through some big storylines. Maybe we make some predictions after we get to DeSager? How does that sound? We'll sure. do our Let's Super do Bowl, our MVP, all that stuff. Um, I'm sure, I'm just looking through, you know, I think there's there's obviously some really intriguing ones that we haven't talked about. You know, the Ravens, obviously what happens with Lamar Jackson. I'll say the Browns, I, I do think are interesting. Without Deshaun Watson, there is still a lot of talent there. Real quick, by the way, were you outraged about the Baker Mayfield saying something off the record that may have gotten out that he claims he didn't say? I, I thought... To me, two things, Jason. One, I thought it was such a non-story. Oh, my God, he wants to kick the crap out of his team. So does literally 31 other NFL starting quarterbacks. I know it's his former team, whatever. I'll also just say this, too. I don't really find Baker that compelling of a story anymore. Like, it was really fun when he had the chip on his shoulder and the Browns went from really bad to really awesome under his watch. Now he's just another quarterback that's on basically his last chance, his second chance, whatever. 
I don't really find him that interesting. And I certainly did not find the story this week that he had the audacity to want to beat the Cleveland Browns. I found that story to be like the most uninteresting thing that has happened in sports in a really long time that people made a big deal about. I mean, of course he wants to beat his former team. Exactly. Joe Flacco said the same thing because the Jets play the Ravens in week one and Flacco was going to get the start instead of Zach Wilson. And I'd seen that story out there. The Flacco's like, yeah, it's going to hit a little different playing Baltimore. That's just kind of how that rolls. Like, for the most part, especially, look, that divorce was not particularly, uh, it didn't go very well. Like, it was kind of sour. Baker's a little bit of a hothead. We know this. You don't think he wants to beat that team? Of course he does. You always want to do that. And at the same time, he's got a little bit of extra mustard on it. I find him maybe more interesting than you do. Just I want to see how he plays this year, and I want to see if it's an audition for a larger gig because I, I just don't see him being the Panthers quarterback for the remainder of his career. But I guess you don't know. And, and I'm higher on him, too. I think he can play. I think he made a huge mistake not shutting it down last year, and that may haunt him forever. But – I still think he can play. I don't know that he's on a team that's going to showcase it all that much. We'll see. I mean, he's got a couple of weapons. I like more, and I think Robbie Anderson has come around to believing that Baker can play, or certainly he's not going to say the kinds of things he was saying before. I don't think that everything that Baker Mayfield says and does needs to become some kind of story, though. Like, I agree. That, that, that's, yeah. that's where it is. Like, I don't think he's interesting enough to be on the front page every day because he suggested that he would like to beat the Cleveland Browns. So would I if I was Baker Mayfield, by the way. I would want to beat the brakes off the Browns. Like I don't I don't think there's anything controversial whatsoever about that if he said it. Yeah, it's one thing when Aaron Rodgers basically says anything and we make it a story. Okay. Two time reigning Super Bowl uh, or Super Bowl. Two time reigning MVP. Um relatively underachiever in the playoffs, loses his best wide receiver seemingly obliviously while he signs the biggest contract ever. Okay, I can see why everything that he... Oh, by the way, very strong stances on COVID, on vaccines, on restrictions, on... I get why everything Aaron Rodgers says is a big deal. I get why... Tom Brady, six-time Super Bowl champion, um, you know, two different organizations, the greatest quarterback of all time. I understand why why it's interesting when he says stuff. I just, I, yeah, I just don't find Baker interesting. Like, like, and I know by the way, if the the Panthers somehow starts seven and zero and he's back to Baker being Baker, then yeah, like, oh, when he's talking his smack, that's going to be a story that we're talking about on this show. I just, I, I don't know. I just, I don't think. I just don't think right now. I just think he's another guy fighting for his job, fighting for his livelihood, frankly. Um, and I don't think every th- every word that comes out of his mouth needs to be a talking point. No different than if Carson Wentz said something controversial or if Mitch Trubisky said something controversial, although Mitch Trubisky st- strikes me as the least interesting person in the world. Like, I, I don't know. I just I don't find him compelling as a topic anymore. It was compelling when he was with the Browns. It was compelling when there was clear friction with him in the organization. It was compelling with him when he demanded a trade and whatever. And now it's just he's just another dude as a backup. I'll tell you what, Jason. Let's get to DeSega real quick. Final time tonight. We'll come back. We'll make our NFL preseason predictions. 
But as I just said, final time this evening, let's get to the main man, Steve DeSager with What's Trending. There is a late college football game on FS1, early fourth quarter at Washington. The Huskies are leading Kent State 38-20. to The Washington quarterback these days, ex of Indiana, Michael Penix, has three touchdown passes and 335 yards through the air. Boise State was down 24-0 at the half. It's now Oregon State 27-17 over Boise early in the fourth. And the late game at Hawaii is mid-second quarter with Western Kentucky in the lead now 14 to 10 earlier mississippi state went through some weather but eventually finished its game beating memphis 49 23 and washington state at home survived to win its opener against idaho 24 to 17 today delaware won at navy 14 to 7 and delaware including getting sacked five times had 13 yards rushing on 29 carries that was the winning team navy fumbled three times in the first half and the iowa game with two safeties in the second oh, half, yeah. Iowa wins seven to three against South Dakota State. It, it was three three at the half. Wow! Iowa against Iowa State next Saturday, and South Dakota only had six first downs the whole game. Twelve penalties, thirty-one carries, thirty-three yards, and still had a chance to win this. There were a combined twenty-one punts in the game so slightly different than that Appalachian State home game today, which North Carolina won. 63 to 61. That was a game. App State scored six touchdowns in the fourth quarter, but missed two two-point tries in the final minute. Number one, Alabama, 55-0 over Utah State tonight. Bryce Young, five touchdown passes and one TD run. Number two, Ohio State came back to beat Notre Dame, 21-10. Number three, Georgia scored touchdowns against Oregon on its first seven possessions, beat the Ducks handily 49 to 3 number six texas a&m was only up on sam houston seven nothing with about five minutes to go in the first half there was a long weather delay at halftime eventually a&m 31 nothing the final sam houston 10 first downs 10 punts next saturday a&m will host app state at florida 29-26 Gators over 7th ranked Utah thanks to a touchdown with about a minute and a half to go Utah threw an interception in the end zone in the final seconds on second and goal and key Florida early in the second half stopped Utah on a fourth and goal at the one number eight Michigan 51-7 over Colorado State only one accepted penalty in that game total and Michigan had no turnovers ninth ranked Oklahoma 45-13 over UTEP Dylan Gabriel X of UCF two touchdown passes in the first half in an early TD run 10th-ranked Baylor, 69-10 over Albany, which had the 10 points, 10 first downs, 9 punts. Next Saturday night, it's Baylor at BYU. The Cougars join the Big 12 next year. 25th-ranked BYU led at South Florida, 38-0 late first half after a long weather delay at the start in Tampa. 50-21 Cougars the final, BYU with over 300 yards rushing in that game. Number 24, Houston in triple overtime, won at UT San Antonio. Wins for Ole Miss and Kentucky, by the way, next Saturday night, Kentucky at Florida. Arkansas in its top 25 matchup beat Cincinnati 31-24. K.J. Jefferson with all four TDs. The Bearcats, by the way, missed two field goal attempts in the first half from 25 and 48 yards out. Eventually lost by seven. Miami and Wisconsin with wins. That Miami victory was 70-13 over Bethune-Cookman. Ten touchdowns, one fumble. Hurricanes had no punts, no field goal attempts. Number 14, USC 66-14 
14 over Rice. NC State survived 21-20 at East Carolina. The late ball game is over in Anaheim. The Angels in 12 innings have beaten Houston 2-1. Milwaukee won in 10 innings in a comeback at Arizona. Dodgers 12-1 over the Padres. The win to Julio Arias. He pitched six innings. He's 15-7 in the last three months. Arias is 12-2 with an ERA under two. Cardinals won again. Boy, they are seven and a half up on the Brewers still in the NL Central. White Sox over Minnesota at 13-0. This was one of the games on Fox TV tonight. Winning pitcher Dylan Cease, who's a Cy Young candidate this year, had a no-hitter with two outs in the ninth and then allowed a single. Pitched a one-hitter, 103 pitches in the White Sox win. Seattle won its sixth straight game. Tampa Bay won its fifth in a row, beat the Yankees 2-1. Aaron Judge with his 52nd homer. Baltimore won again, Toronto as well. And Washington beat the Mets 7-1. How did they, well, first off, how does the Nationals get a, how do they get a victory? How did they beat the Mets? And how did they beat the Mets on a night where Max Scherzer started? Scherzer only went five innings. No decision, left with left side fatigue. He had an oblique injury earlier. And the Braves beat Miami 2-1. Austin Riley, 35th homer. So the Braves are only two games back in the Mets for first in the NL East. Back to you. Thank you very much, Steve DeSager. Fox Sports Radio, Fox Sports Saturday. About a half an hour from now, Chris Plank in for Bernie Fratto. Chris will take you across the world of college football. He, of course, is the voice of Oklahoma football. Cannot wait to hear Plank at the top of the hour. Uh, Jason, I, I just said it. You know, Obviously, by the time that you and I get back on air, we will have one NFL game under the books. The Rams hosting the Buffalo Bills on Thursday night. Uh, really quickly... Let's do some, uh, you know, let's do a little uh, Super Bowl uh, MVP, all that good stuff, really quick. Um, do you have an Do you have an MVP in mind for this coming season? It's going to be a quarterback in the AFC. It's not going to be Brady or Rodgers this year. Um, it's going to be a quarterback because that's the world in which we live. You can take your pick because I think there there are several potential candidates here. I think I'm going to go with Justin Herbert. Mm. I think I'm going to go with Justin Herbert. Now, when we get to predictions of the teams, that's going to be that could be potentially different, but he's got weapons. He has all the skills. You know what he's capable of doing. I think he's going to have 5,000-plus yards, and it's just going to be one of those kind of years where it's just like, that dude It's just better than whoever we have playing quarterback. And so I'll give it to Herbert. I can't believe we're doing this. I, I actually – that that was going to be my pick as well, logic being Aaron Rodgers isn't getting it a third straight year. Um, Tom Brady, obviously, we talked about him earlier, feels like there's something going on, offensive line banged up, all that good stuff. Joe Burrow, I get it, but it's also, you know, history tells us you lose a Super Bowl, you take a step back the following year. And Josh Allen, as we just said, just feels too obvious. I'm also a little bit out on Patrick Mahomes coming into this year, as I discussed earlier in the show. So I will go with Justin Herbert for the reasons that you mentioned. I just think he's going to be there. He's going to have a lot of high-profile games. He's going to put up a lot of yards. He's going to have moments where, you know, starting with that second Thursday night game against the Kansas City Chiefs on Amazon, where, you know, he's the focal point in in the center of the football world. I'm going to go with Justin Herbert as well. Uh, Jason, go ahead. Give me your Super Bowl prediction for this season. This is so weird because I've been saying one thing and now I'm sitting here in the moment because I haven't had to predict this as of yet. Now, this is the first time. 
I'm so high on the Raiders this year. Like, I just, I believe that people are sleeping on them. I don't think their defense is going to be entirely trash, but I think their offense is going to be really, really difficult to deal with with Adams and Renfro and Waller and those guys and McDaniels orchestrating it and Carr, who is more than capable of doing it. That division, though, I don't know what that defense. I think that the Raiders are going to be better than people think. I think they're going to be really, really dangerous. But I'm going to pull an audible at the last second. A team that I've been down on in my own mind for months just had a bad feeling about them this year. I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to call for an all-SoFi Super Bowl. Hmm. Rams, Chargers will be the Super Bowl this year. I see nobody in the in the NFC that I like more than the Rams. I don't think that the Rams got demonstrably worse. Yeah, they lost Von Miller, but Allen Robinson's a step in the right direction. You've still got Cooper Cup. As long as Stafford's arm is still what you would anticipate it being, you've got a healthier Cam Akers running the football. Sean McVay hasn't forgotten how to do his job. The, the NFC is weak. I can poke holes in most of the teams. I don't like the receiving core for Aaron Rodgers, so I can't pick them as much as you like his skill set. Tampa Bay just seems like a circus in the wrong direction this year. I still think the Saints have a good chance to maybe steal that division. So the team that I have the least question marks about is the defending Super Bowl champion, the Rams. And right now, if you had to ask me who I think was I'd say it's going to be the Rams again. So, you know, uh, you're going to laugh when I tell you mine. Um, I am going to pick the Rams as well, and it's for a lot of the same reasons that you did. Uh, I, the, the Bucks, there's just something going on. And, and I just, when you lose uh, an, uh, an offensive lineman to retirement, when you lose another one to a season-ending injury, it's hard for me to get excited about uh, you. Same with the Packers. Like, I just, I just, I don't, it's not happening, right? NFC East speaks for itself, so I'm going to go with the Los Angeles Rams. And then in the AFC, you're going to laugh about this, Jason, because I threw a big stink about the Buffalo Bills being favored to win the Super Bowl. But I look just at like I threw a big stink about the Chargers for months, and I just picked the Chargers Rams Super Bowl. Well, that's exactly right, and it's like I, I look across the board, and it's like okay, it's not going to be Baltimore. I'm just yeah, Baltimore's not making the leap. I don't think to to you know one playoff win in the Lamar Jackson era to making a Super Bowl. The Bengals, you have to assume they're going to take a step back. Super Bowl hangover is real. The Browns don't have Deshaun Watson. I'm out on the Titans. Sorry, truth. Uh, Raiders, I like, don't love. Broncos, you could speak better to them, but asking Russell Wilson in year one to make the leap. And then I'm telling you, I'm out on the Chiefs. I just, I, I'm not out on them. I think they're going to be good, but in that division, and if you look at their schedule, it is just brutal. And so I look at the Buffalo Bills. You know, there, there's wins to be had in the division. Um, they're going to be in a nice spot to potentially get the number one seed, get home field advantage, get the only buy. And so I got the Buffalo Bills over the Los Angeles Rams to win the Super Bowl. Uh, Give me one very quick um, surprise prediction. It could be a team that overachieves, a team that underachieves, a team that misses the playoffs. Give me one surprise that nobody's talking about right now. Uh, I think we talked about this. Uh, It's not that we haven't talked about it, but it's been under-discussed. I think Trevor Lawrence is going to show why he was the number one pick last year this year. I think with Doug Peterson as head coach, I don't know about the money they spent. I don't know if they spent it well. I don't know if we're all going to feel like fools when Christian Kirk starts balling out or if we're all going to feel like they were fools when he doesn't start balling out. It's not that bold a prediction to say this, but I just believe Trevor's going to have a solid year. I think that the Jags are going to be a much better football team, and you're going to get to the end of this season and start looking and say, man, if they have the right kind of offseason – 
they might be a team to really pay attention to the following year. So I think it's Jacksonville potentially taking a massive step in the right direction. The one that I've ha- I've said consistently, I'm not going to back down now. Uh, I have the Kansas City Chiefs missing the playoffs and finishing in last place in the AFC West. Now, granted, last place in the AFC West could be 10 and seven, but there's just a lot of tough games, not only in that division, but if you look at the Chiefs' schedule, it is brutal. Open at Arizona, Chargers in Week Two on a short week, play at the Colts, at the Bucks, Raiders at home, Bills at home, 49ers on the road, Titan. I mean, you just go on and down the list. It's a t- ton of loss it's a ton of tough games which could result in losses so uh that is my official uh kind of out there prediction the chiefs miss the playoffs and they finish in last in the division i also think by the way that has a lot to do with tyreek hill as well fox sports radio fox sports saturday aaron torres jason martin one segment left we come back wrap up the show get you to chris plank Aaron Torres, Jason Martin, one segment left, Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, everybody. Fox Sports Radio. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that, he is... And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Yo, Aaron Torres, Jason Martin. One segment left. Top of the hour. Our buddy Chris Plank in for Bernie Fratto. Can't wait to listen to Chris Plank. Chris Plank, of course, the sideline reporter with the Oklahoma Sooners. Plank was on the field. The Sooners, we didn't even talk about Oklahoma, by the way, Jason. They looked very good in a win over UTEP. Uh, Chris Plank coming up next. Jason, really quickly, um, let's right, just... Can I, can I ask you a question? Please, ask ask away. We were doing the NFL predictions last segment. One thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about the MVP, and we both actually went with Justin Herbert, if it's not a quarterback, who do you think the top vote getter is? Like if it, outside of the quarterbacks, we all think it's going to be a quarterback. But who do you think the the top vote getter that's not a quarterback is likely to be? Oh my goodness, um, not a quarterback. I mean, it does feel like the easy answer would be Tyreek Hill, right? That'd be one of them, I think. I mean, Devontae I think, Adams, I think maybe. Maybe. I mean, I think it could be Derrick Henry or Jonathan sure, Taylor, sure, potentially sure. also. But I'm actually thinking about somebody. The guy that, and it could be like an Aaron Donald type or somebody like that as well, but I kind of have a feeling, and it depends obviously on what the Vikings do, but I think Justin Jefferson might be another guy that we're looking at. I, I, I'm not sure that he's not the best wide receiver in football right now. Like I, I really believe entering this season he may well be, and by the end of this season, many people are going to be talking about it. If the Bengals duplicate what they did, uh, Chase is probably going to get a lot of love too, but I do think... Yeah, if Miami is in the mix, 
a lot of that is going to be because of Tyreek Hill, one would think. And if he helps turn Tua's career around, then yeah, I, you could easily be right. So I was just curious about that, not to derail you for from no, where you want no, to go no. here. Uh, I, uh, all I want to do here is kind of wrap talk about a couple things that are going to happen before the time we get on air next next week. Uh, opening night, obviously, on Thursday night, Los Angeles Rams playing the Buffalo Bills. Rams, two-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, what do you got, Jason? Thursday night, SoFi Stadium, they're handing out rings. Who you got on Thursday? Man, look, boy, I think I've got Buffalo. I got the Rams right now in my head winning the Super Bowl, which we did in the last segment. But getting the ring, sometimes like you're a little distracted in that moment. The Bills are wanting to get there. That's just going to remind them that they weren't there. It's going to remind them again of the last 13 seconds of regulation against Kansas City and then losing the coin toss and losing that classic game in overtime. If we believe in the Bills hype, and I do pretty much believe in it, doesn't mean I think they necessarily come out of the AFC. In fact, I don't believe they come out of the AFC. I still think it makes sense that we're talking about them the way that they are because of the roster on paper. So I think Buffalo is very capable of going and beating the Rams. I think they're just a little better from a roster standpoint. And opening week, a lot of weirder things can happen, like going on the road and winning a game like this. For Buffalo, nothing will be an upset, but I'll take the Bills. Yeah, I look at the way things ended for the Bills last year. I mean, obviously the focus would be on the final, uh, you know, final few seconds of that game, final 13 seconds, as you said, against Kansas City, but uh, won their final four games all by at least double digits of the regular season, and then obviously destroyed the, the New England Patriots in the playoffs uh, in a game where they, the New England Patriots literally couldn't force them to punt. They play an iconic game against Kansas City, and this one to me just feels like, you know, they're coming in with something improved, chip on their shoulder, if you will. I like the Buffalo Bills to win that game as well at SoFi Stadium. Let's go back to the college game next Saturday. First big one, I guess, maybe you would say, for Alabama. They're playing at Texas. Obviously a game I, you know, I, I think that we were all pretty excited for. Um, Texas, of course, coming off of a win today. Alabama about a 17, 17 and a half point favorite, depending on where you look. Obviously, we just talked Quinn Ewers. What do you think of Alabama playing at Texas next week? I'm excited to see it. I mean, I'm a Bama guy, so that's one thing. But the main thing is just it's I want to see what Quinn Ewers looks like against a team like Alabama and getting that test so early. Texas's goal is to not feel like Oregon at the end of that game. Sure. And it's very possible that they will. 17, I think Alabama's going to cover that. I still don't really believe in Texas. I'm not going to listen to the Texas's back stuff yet. But it's definitely a really appetizing matchup because of the Ewers situation. Everything on him, there's a giant microscope. Totally fair. I tend to agree with you. Um, Alabama, I think, is on a mission this year. They destroyed Utah State tonight. Uh, I think they take care of business in Austin. I'll say final score 37 to 10. Just give me a score tomorrow night. LSU plays Florida at the Caesars Sports uh, Caesars Dome. What do you got as a uh, final score in that one? Uh, I think it'll be a wild one. LSU 35-31. I'll take LSU in a tight win as well. Clemson, I assume you think that they win on on Monday night against Georgia Tech. Yeah, I don't know what it means for DJ. I still think that the 
the five star is going to be in there by the time they're playing NC State and Wake Forest. But I don't think Georgia Tech's going to prevent or present much of a challenge here. I expect Clemson to absolutely roll them and us not to be watching that by the third quarter. We got to go. Thank the crew to Sager. Uh, Brandon, this is Fox Sports Radio. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.